This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Wednesday, August 30th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 269. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. They'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. What's up, everybody? I know you guys missed us. Big Wednesday edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got a great slate of guests coming in here. Georgia Congressman Mike Collins will be joining us, as well as Trump 2024 Senior Advisor Boris Epstein, Constitutional Attorney John Pierce will be here, and we'll be sitting down with the New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax. Lots of breaking news on this Wednesday. Are we finally heading down the road to impeach Joe Biden? We'll take a look at it. The witch hunts and hoax investigations continue against Donald Trump, and we'll bring you guys the absolute latest, and we'll play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup. But before we get to any of the headlines, let's take it over to the great state of Georgia and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah's here with me today. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome into the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started on the show today, we're joined by the congressman who represents Georgia 10, one of our favorite, absolutely America first, Mr. Mike Collins. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Well, it's good to be back with y'all. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, you know. Anytime. Yeah. It's uh, been busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. The first thing we want to touch on is probably the most recent, uh, your reaction to to the Trump arraignment uh, in, in the latest you know avenue of warfare that's being waged against him that happened in Fulton County last week. You know, and, and sadly, it's it's right here in my home state, in my backyard. And, uh, you know, it, the, the picture was actually showed somebody that was ready to fight. But uh, in my opinion, it was a freaking disgrace. And it, it was disgusting. Uh, you you know, and, and, and I know um, people, every, everybody knows it's a sham. Y'all know it's a sham. I know it's a sham indictment. We, we, we all know that. I don't really think they care, honestly. They, they wanted to do something in Georgia that the other three indictments didn't do. And they wanted to put the president's mugshot out there. They wanted a mugshot of the president of the United States. And they thought that was going to be a feather in the cap, especially <laughs> old Fanny Willis. Cause we all, we know she's going to run for governor. She, she's got other things in mind, but I honestly believe that the reaction across this country was the same reaction that I had. And that was totally opposite from what they wanted. When, when you see that picture and you actually see, that they arrested and took a mugshot of the president of the United States, the 45th president of the United States. That just goes to show you the disrespect, the lack of respect, the arrogance, and how bad these people want to get rid of Donald Trump. And, uh, and I think it has not only sealed his nomination, but I tell you what, he's going to be the president of the United States again. Yeah, that mugshot backfired like crazy on them. 
you talk about having the reverse effect. Like I myself went on WinRed. I think I spent almost $200 on mugshot merch myself. I was like, there's my donation. I did exactly the same and yeah. got some additional items for the uh, podcast studio that I've talked offline with. with no, apparently we can't hold them up in the camera view, but we'll be okay with that. Yeah. Um, Congressman, here's the thing. You talk about the unprecedented level of where we're at, the mugshot of a former president, the last president, the leading candidate in the upcoming election, and the number one political opponent of the current president of the United States. There's no putting this toothpaste back in the tube ever. Now, here's the thing. There are a lot of people on social media. You, you, you know we're very active because we do the news here. We, we always check and, and try to make sure that the work, the great work that you guys are promoting – the small voice that is getting louder in the America First delegation of Congress is always getting amplified by us here. But at the end of the day, it's a numbers thing. It's got to be really frustrating to you to go into, you know, up on Capitol Hill when you're up there, uh, you know, in session and know that on a good day there's 30, 35 people, maybe at the most, that you can count on to always be a slam dunk vote for America First, for getting to the bottom of these investigations into Joe and Hunter Biden, to be providing oversight into the Department of Justice and the FBI and, and things of that nature. You know, but when you look at the 435 members of Congress and then 100 members of the Senate, and you look at some of the ways that you guys are going to be have to fighting back tooth and nail when you guys get back in session, what is some of the methodology or, or plans that you guys are putting together just uh, as we're getting ready to head into appropriation season here? Well, uh, you're man, you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, first of all, we've got to do our appropriation bills. And, and if I, you know, if I sound more frustrated than I usually do, it's because y'all, we are sitting here, in the September's the end of the fiscal year for this country, for the federal government, we've only done one appropriation bill, one out of 12. And we need to get our ass in gear. I don't care if we go up there and we stay seven days a week. I don't care if we have to stop on Sunday morning, we call a preacher over, give church service, and then we go back to work. But this going up there three days a week, we, we need to stay there until the job's done. Because you're exactly right. Appropriations is where you cut out a lot of this crap that's been going on up there. That's the main place you do it. We have been meeting and having hearings for eight months now, or seven months. It took us a month to get the committees put together. We've been telling these people, I've been pointing my finger at these federal agencies and telling them, your day's coming. When we do our appropriations, your day's going to be done because I'm going to cut funding. And and and, and we need to take the, the appropriations and start cutting this DOJ, cutting the FBI, and making sure that they understand that they're not going to be rogue anymore. We're reining them in. But the, the other part of that equation is two things. We need to we need the pros bills. We need to have a, an impeachment inquiry as soon as we get there. We need to go ahead and have an inquiry. That'll give them more uh, leniency and, and more lawful things that they can request from a committee standpoint. The third thing that, that uh, has got to happen with these hearings is we've got to make sure that we have the evidence. You know, we've only been in the majority since January. They've actually only been able to really start looking at this stuff. I would say middle to the end of February. And, and look at what the committees have dug up, you know, be it Jason Smith on Ways and Means here recently, Comer with Judiciary and, and uh, Jordan with Oversight. But it is all coming out very fast now whether it's whistleblowers or whether it's evidence. And what the, the last thing that we want to do is impeach someone 
and make it look like politics. Right. In other words, have a, a Donald Trump impeachment. It, first of all, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. So when we send it over to the Senate, you better have some damn sure enough ironclad evidence that they can't not look at. And and the only way you do that is to keep uncovering evidence. And, and we've just got to make sure we do the process. Is it frustrating? You betcha. Um, that's been the number one topic uh, for the past week, easy, uh, past month, sure. But now, I mean, everybody is saying impeach, impeach, impeach. But uh, we just need just to give them just a little bit more time and, and make sure that we have the put the nails in the coffin on this thing and then ship it over to the Senate. But I really think that as soon as we get back, man, let's go ahead and pop that impeachment inquiry and uh, get this thing rolling. You, you feel like Speaker McCarthy is at the point right now with the evidence that you, you'd mentioned uh, Jamie Comer, Jim Jordan, and others uh, yeah. have have got to this point. He is ready to at least open the inquiry into impeaching Joe Biden? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for him, but, sure. but all indications that I've gotten, yes, it's uh, it's it's time to, you know, and, and I know I heard on some of the uh, one of the liberal news medias uh, as early as this morning. Oh, well, you know, the, the he's not sh- McCarthy's not sure if if everybody in the House will, will vote for it. I've not heard anybody say that they wouldn't vote for an inquiry. Uh, we, we definitely need to go ahead and open up an impeachment inquiry based on what we have just found. Uh, not to mention the 5,000 emails that just popped up uh, under an alias that uh, Joe Biden was using. We haven't even gotten to look at those yet. So, sure, I, I don't see it, uh, it not passing. I mean, I could be wrong, but uh, it's just uh, it's, it's more evident today than it ever has been. And the evidence is definitely flowing in our direction. Now. It's- Congressman, one thing I wanted to ask you, and, and it sticks in the thread of, of budget appropriations, it, it, two questions right now. You could take them both after I'm done kind of laying these out here. So as far as the appropriation process goes, I, I thought it was great that you said you guys were willing to get back to work. You personally are willing to work seven days a week, long hours, to make sure that the rest of the 11 appropriation bills get done. You know, we've had Congressman Corey Mills and, and, and Wesley Hunt both big figures in the America First delegation, much like yourself, Congressman, on the show in the last week. And you know, they both said they have no uh, intention of signing any continuing resolutions or omnibus bills because all that does is give Joe Biden a break and, and make it look like the economy continues to be strong under his, um, air quoting now, leadership heading into the new year. Are, are you on board with that as well? You're not looking t- for any CRs or omnibuses or anything like that? We need to get these appropriation bills done? We were hired to pass appropriation bills, period. Now, you know, if if if... If a CR is in front of me, it better be less than 30 days and it'll only be one. And, and that'll make sure that we get uh, our bills out and we get into conference. But past that, man, that's it. Uh, you know, Congress needs we need to do our job and 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 32 trillion. It'll be what, 34, 35 trillion by the end of the year in debt. Uh, there's no way. I am going to support an omnibus, minibus, any bus. <laughs> Give me my appropriation bills. Let's debate them. I don't care if we have to debate all night long. That's that. that I mean, it's. I hate to say it till I'm blue in the face, but that's our job. Sure, that's the number one job we have up there. Um, so we need to get on our appropriation bills. We, once we, as a conference, decide that this is what we're going to do. Let's don't keep changing around and keep moving stuff. Let's let's make our gains. Let's get our cuts. 
let's get it because you know the senate's already passed their appropriate bills out of committee and the last thing we want to do is to have the senate the full senate pass appropriations and send them over to us without us having our appropriation bills already sent to them you don't want to be the one to have to negotiate on theirs because they've already saw, showed you coming out of committee they're spending more money than what biden wanted to spend mm-hmm. yep yeah, you know, and you've got Mitch McConnell over there going along with it. Well, so just, just, we need to we need to get ours out. We need to get it over there. We need to get in the conference, and we we need to hammer this and and stay as long as it takes. Well, this is kind of breaking news here on the show right now. I'm going to let you know my uh, breaking news reporter, engineer, and co-host over there, Noah, just let me know Mitch McConnell locked up at a speaking event again today and and needed to be helped off by staff. So when uh, you're hearing things of that nature, it's uh, probably better interest of the country to have these things hashed out in uh, the House of Representatives and not let the Senate take the lead, especially when you look at the delegation of uh, America last Republicans who are leading it up there. I'm not talking about the J.D. Vances and Tommy Tubervilles of the world. We're talking about the Mitch McConnell and friends. So. Congressman, last thing I wanted to ask you, I saw a really great clip the other day of one of your congressional counterparts down in Georgia, Rep. Andrew Clyde, talking about uh, defunding as part of portions of these appropriation bills coming up, especially when it comes to things like the Jack Smith-led special counsel yeah. and, and and the federal assistance that goes to uh, you know states like Georgia in regards to uh, the Fulton County Courthouse and obviously the DA there, Fannie Willis. Are, are you on board uh, with, with following suit there with Rep. Andrew Clyde and, and, and look forward to defunding you know these witch hunt hoaxes that have been going on in the lawfare that's being waged against president trump you know absolutely i think that's a good move and and i think that's one that we need to get pushed through um you know you're, you're exactly they're they're rogue they're out of control they're people you know ron i'm gonna tell you this administration and it all actually started way back with obama yeah um they have been on a woke socialistic agenda since the first Obama administration. And, and what happened was Hillary Clinton was supposed to finish this thing off. And, and when she got beat by Donald Trump, the only thing they knew they could do was to get rid of him. Now they didn't know that he was actually going to be able to, to show America what it felt like to have independence and not depend on the government for everything you do. And what it felt like to win and to provide for your own family. And, and so they've got to not only make sure that he doesn't run again, they, they, they want to finish him off in every aspect that they can physically, spiritually, whatever. And, and make sure that when they do that, that the rest of America out there knows you step in and try something like, as one of the liberal commentators said, this, billionaire white guy did you'll get it worse because you don't have near the means that he does to protect yourself and so we've got to do our part in congress and we can defund these these people and make sure that we fight back in every respect and every avenue that we can then you betcha we better be on board and we need to make sure that we do that that's an excellent point, and you want to know what? There's so many things I'm not optimistic about when, when covering these Beltway politics, but after talking to a couple of the strongest warriors out there in America First, like yourself, obviously we mentioned Corey Mills and Leslie Hunt over the last couple of weeks, Congressman. I am optimistic heading into appropriation season that you guys are going to go in there and do the absolute best job that you can and get the job done for the American people. Well, I just want to say, you know, in, in, the, in the eight months that I've been out here, 
doing hearings and, and we've been holding hearings all across the country. Yep. I've been in, uh, you know, I was in the state of Washington on hold, having a hearing about where they want to tear down four dams. Now those dams provide 8% of the electricity in the state of Washington. We've been in Minnesota up there with a hearing with the world's largest deposit of critical minerals. Been trying to get that permit for 20 years. We've been down in, in Arizona where you've got more copper than you ever need to, pro to produce these batteries for these electric cars. What I have learned is this administration, they don't, they don't, the, matter of fact, they think you've got too much electricity right now. They don't want you to have EVs. Hell, they want you to damn ride mass transit. They want you to live in an apartment. Look at inflation. Look at, look at interest rates. They don't want you to own a house. They just want you to rent. They want you to have government health care. They want you dependent on the federal government for every decision that you make, including to how many beer, beers you're going to drink a week. <laughs> and they're serious about True that. True story. But they, they want to push you, and they want to push us to the point to where one day you just throw your hands up and you say, my God, just do whatever you're going to do. Just leave us alone. And, and I'm telling you, when that day happens, they've got you. And so I encourage everybody out there, man, we, we've got to fight this thing. And uh, you, we do. We've got a good group. There is a good, solid group of us up there. Uh, Wesley, as is, is, is he always says, that he is our energy representative from, from the great state of Texas. He's the energy guy, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and I lean on Corey for a lot of military stuff uh, because he's got that experience. And, uh, and, and we've, uh, there's a good group of us up there. There's a good group of people up there, but, uh, but y'all, we're not going with this, this time to get our probes bills done time for appropriations. No, it's great hearing from you, Congressman. You know, it's always such a process dealing with, uh, you know, the congressmen and women who work up on Capitol Hill. I can't say enough about the great work that you've been doing up to this point, whether it's in committee, traveling across the country, or providing commentary for us on all the great things that you're working on here on Steak for Breakfast. And then the staff that you're working with, they've been absolutely awesome. We all know that life happens. Natural disasters happen, the Biden administration happens, surprise votes happen, and they've always been so accommodating to us to, to make sure that you can come back on the show. Our listenership enjoys hearing you all the time, and we look forward, hopefully in the next month, to get you back on when you're in the uh, thick of appropriation seasons there. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today, but for anyone that's not following you, Congressman, where can they check you out? Yeah, they can look us up at Rep. Mike Collins, and uh, you know, you'll find our, our social media there. Tell you Follow what. across anything. And we'll live link him in the show description as well. This guy's absolutely fighting yeah. for us up on Capitol Hill and proudly representing Georgia 10. Congressman Mike Collins, thanks for joining us and getting the show started today. Man, I appreciate it. Y'all keep up the good work, too. Thank you for what you do. Hey, I want to thank, of course, our nation's champion, President Biden, for your leadership and commitment to lowering costs for working families in every way. The Secret Service is paying $16,000 a month now to stage near Hunter Biden in Malibu. Who's paying for that? That's a question for the Secret Service. Okay. We just heard from the FEMA director today. She is worried about running out of funding, understandably. She called on Congress to, to approve the request for another $12 billion in disaster funds so emergency relief efforts are not impacted at all. We should note, uh, Corrine, that request for relief is paired, is combined with requests for more aid for Ukraine, which is more controversial uh, to many uh, in Congress. It might be a sticking point for them. Why not separate the FEMA dollars from the Ukraine dollars uh, so you don't have that problem?
He has his finger on the pulse of what it is that the American people need. He talks about issues that really matter to the American people, and he is delivering. Is there more work to be done? There's always more work to be done, but we are happy to take that on. Congress started with threats of impeaching Secretary Mayorkas, and then it was FBI Director Christopher Wray, and then Merrick Garland, uh, and now Joe Biden. And, and by the way, Eamon, one day he's sleepy Joe, the next day he's corrupt Joe. I know people who are sleepy. I know people who are corrupt. I don't know anyone who is both. These guys just know that they are reflexively anti-anything Biden's doing, whether it's for the economy, whether it's for global security over in Ukraine. And so it shows in the clownish way uh, that they're behaving. We have Biden shouting in a press conference, name me one single objective that we set out to accomplish that we failed on. Name me one in all of our history, not one. I say to you, Mr. President, you got 13 pictures that we have all named. You got 13 that you did not accomplish. I know he can't name one of them without a card sitting in front of him or a teleprompter sitting in front of him. I say to him, resign. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Secretary Blinken, Secretary Lloyd, General Milley, you need to resign. All right, and jumping in now with the news portion of our show on this big Wednesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It was great sitting down with Congressman Mike Collins. Always a pleasure talking to him. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, I uh, I miss that guy. I want to hang out with him. I think someday we shall. Yeah. I want to ride in the big truck. Yes. <laughs> Listen, we are tracking. There's not too much news to report of the hurricane outside of the hurricane itself. We hope that everyone that's in the effective areas are safe, are dry, are being smart. Listen, do what you need to do. To survive when it's over, you guys got to pick up the pieces, help out those in need who need it. You know, America First is is always the best at, at helping out their fellow neighbors, even when, you know, we're probably the most persecuted bunch in the country. But keep setting that gold standard, and uh, we hope everybody down in uh, Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas and everywhere else affected is, is just going to be as safe as possible during this, you know, national emergency. So we're going to jump in here, try to figure out on whether or not Joe Biden is heading down the road towards impeachment. Uh, in that audio montage you heard to start the show, it was, it was kind of a tale of two realities. Yeah. You hear people like Kamala Harris, KJP, Eric Swalwell, fawning over the work that Joe Biden has done for the American people. How does anybody take themselves seriously and give this guy even the benefit of the doubt that he's intentionally doing anything that accidentally winds up being good or for that matter doing anything that was intended to be good right and on the other side of that same coin you hear people like peter Ducey in the white house press pool and, and gold star dad uh talking about the lives that were lost a little over two years ago during the afghanistan withdrawal so you know and and the realities that we live in now are the ones that actually happened in real time the economy is awful uh, joe biden is not a strong leader our, our geopolitical footing has slipped everywhere in the world except Ukraine, the only place on the planet that it probably shouldn't be. And, and then you have no accountability for things like the Afghanistan withdrawal, like the open borders, like the fact that Russia and China are teaming up to essentially, starting off with financially, but then infrastructurally take over the world. 
and uh, we don't have the administration here. Who cares about it? Because all we want to do is, is is join the big global conglomerate of the European Union and NATO and be like them, where it's you know migrants all over the country and, and horrible economies and just the culture that made all of those countries in Europe individually what they have been for thousands of years to be erased, essentially in a couple decades. And that is the job that, uh, you know, Joe Biden has been led along by his puppet strings at the behest of people like Victoria Nuland, Susan Rice, Jake Sullivan, and uh, just about everyone in between, Eric Holder, John Podesta, Lisa Monaco, just complicit in, in, in continuing on the divisive and destruction of the United States since the start of the first Obama administration. And that's just the way it is. So, you know, but Joe Biden, as far as going down the road to impeachment here, will we ever get there? Who knows? Have the investigations to this point proven that there's definitely a there there? I think so. Um, are we willing to have the fortitude and metal to eventually get this over the finish line and prove the connectivity tissue to Joe Biden and all of Hunter's business dealings and how, you know, we are going to see him be held accountable. I don't know. I'm not as optimistic. What do you think? Noah? Ugh, I would love it. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. Obviously kind of throws the uh, 2024 election cycle into a tizzy with probably Gavin Newsom frothing at the mouth more than he usually does. The yeah, American I do cycle. not want to listen to him talk mm. as much as he would have to talk as president or as a presidential candidate. I'm sorry. You should see all the things he's blaming besides himself. He was actually, oh, yeah. Did you see that he was blaming the legal system for the rampant drug epidemic and uh, homelessness crisis here in California over the weekend? You mean it's not the fact that California has turned homelessness into a business hmm. and business is good? Imagine that. You don't want to solve the problem when it's your fucking business. Like all these, what, not the NGOs, but I mean, I guess it's NGOs, right? Yeah. But these charity organizations, a lot of them, like, their board members and their CEOs or whatever you want to call them, like, they're, they're making some pretty good money. And the international billionaire donor class as well. Yeah. Who, who essentially fund these NGOs. They're the, what is it, corporate wing of their evil empire? Yeah, it's, it's like, oh, no, it's a non-governmental agency funded by the government. Yeah. And if it's not funded directly by the government, it's funded by... People who have the government's interests in mind and are doing, it, it's like, well, oh, I could donate to the this faction of the government or I'll just fund their their little pet projects. I hate it. I saw earlier this week, Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson was weighing in on this, touching on the three constitutional benchmarks that could potentially lead to an impeachment. He also talked about how Victor Slotkin, uh believes that Joe Biden engaged in bribery. And, and that by the end of this segment, we might be getting towards physical receipts, but we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We're also going to have constitutional attorney John Pearson here at the end of the segment to touch on this a little bit, because for someone who's literally working inside of the federal courtrooms, he's doing a lot of the January 6 cases and, and things of that nature. It's going to be good to get some input from him as well. Uh, let's check out the Louisiana congressman, and he was weighing in on, on possible Joe Biden impeachment. The idea that the president would be engaged in a pay-to-play 
scheme like this. I mean, bribery is something that's simply defined. And what everybody needs to remember here is that it is specifically listed, of course, as one of the three causes for impeachment in our Constitution. Article 2, Section 4 says that treason, bribery, high crimes and misdemeanors. And on Capitol Hill, a lot of people debate and quibble about what high crimes and misdemeanors are, but we know what bribery is. Uh, It's someone paying you to do their their, their bidding, and that's what happened here, apparently. Uh, The Fox News commentator who's trying to cut him off there really doesn't do it any justice. It seems like they've got a, a thin red line in regards to what people can and cannot say, much like the rigged and stolenness of the 2020 presidential election. When you talk about uh, maybe Republicans getting ahead of themselves and accusing Joe Biden of things he's not being charged with yet, but then again, how do we get there? Yeah. You know, look at what Democrats did for Donald Trump for the entirety of his initial campaign throughout the course of his first term in office and everything since. Uh, you know, if we don't start playing hardball with these guys, it's going to get to a point to where, What's the point of even having investigations except to just make more congressional records? And, uh, you know, for all the fighters, it's funny. I see so many people on social media in our comments section talking about do-nothing Republicans and this, that, and the other thing. And, and yes, you guys are right. Like, I get it. But you have to understand, when you look at the numbers game and the votes it takes to do anything, especially something as, you know, severe as an impeachment, there's about 30 congressmen in the House of Representatives out of 435 representatives who are actually America first, like a first ballot, 100% populist America first vote. 30 out of 435. 30? In the Senate, the numbers are almost equally as bleak. There's 10 or 11 at the most on a good day. Jeez. There's usually between three or five who, no matter what, they will rock it for America first, but... You're talking about 11 out of 50, 49 on the Republican side, 11 out of 100 in totality of the Senate. I mean, you guys got to get real here. Unless there is going to be legitimate receipts, not the hypothesis of shell companies and bank accounts and where it went and how it eventually got there, because they're always going to be able to connect that stuff back to Hunter Biden. If the Republican Congress wants Joe Biden to be the fall guy for all this stuff that he did, throughout the course of his time as a senator and then the vice president, they are going to have to take it to a degree that we have never seen before, which is unfortunate because Donald Trump was, you know, impeached twice for hearsay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of where we're at because outside of those 30-ish members in the House of Representatives and 10-ish members in the Senate, everyone else, I mean, Noah, Noah came up with it. I, I've been using it on social media. It's actually picking up a little bit. They're banana Republicans. Mm-hmm. If Donald Trump says that our nation is degenerating into a banana republic and that Democrats are leading the charge, the Republicans who sit there and just rubber stamp whatever Kevin McCarthy wants to do and are don't complicit. are complicit and don't fight for America first. It's the truth. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't they be banana Republicans as they watch our glorious empire fall in ruins? I'd be willing to bet a lot of those people that are the worst uh, offenders mm-hmm. on that on that level probably have high-value stocks or business interests in China. Yeah, or, or connections to the military-industrial complex, big pharma, you know, the education mafia, you name it, they're probably, and there's probably even some climate change warriors in there on the Republican side. And I've said this before on the show, and it's it's the long game that China's playing, like 20-whatever that they're they're planning to be the world uh, world superpower, I guess. But it's not like all these people think that they're in a coordinated effort 
to destroy the United States. It's a it's a long game by buying people off individually. I mean, like if you have a business in, in China, you literally have to have a board member of your business that is from the CCP. That's an excellent point. And, you know, the more we have Colonel McGregor on the show and, and how much of the things he says eventually comes to fruition, you have to just take into account he's literally said Russia is the one that's kind of orchestrating all of this behind the scenes. And China is a lot more of a paper tiger when it comes to the physicality of like their military, because listen, you want to talk long game. Russia's got the longest of the long games in effect right now. They started what before the eighties, like yeah. the seventies, like during the cold war, yep. everything that they were doing was this long game to dissolve the United States from the inside. Yeah. Don't ask the, uh, former disposed leader of the Wagner group, just Oof. how, uh, crossing Putin works. Not so much. <laughs> Laughs in flaming plane wreckage. All right, I got Congressman Byron Donalds. He was on with Maria yesterday. He was touching on the same stuff. Let's hear him. More than willing and ready to vote yes for an impeachment inquiry. This is exactly where the House should take these matters. We've done extensive work through the Oversight Committee with the help of our colleagues in judiciary and in ways and means, uh, Chairman Jordan and Chairman Smith. So we've done that work. Now is the time to pull it all together. And, and I'm serious about this, Maria. I think if there is one real charge, it's actually a RICO charge against Joe Biden. Because you cannot have a situation where the son is making money, the brother's making money, the family's getting checks del delivered to them all over the place, wire transfers are going here and there. There's no business model. Hunter Biden is not a registered foreign agent. He's violated FARA the same way they, they dragged Paul Manafort through the mud and threw Paul Manafort in jail yep. because they tried to get Paul Manafort to flip on Donald Trump. That's what's been going on with the Biden family. And the Department of Justice has been covering up for this. Uh, the FBI did not do full investigations over this. And so it is incumbent for House Republicans to step up and get the job done for the American people. Always great to hear from the Florida congressman, who we just want to remind, tail the tape, 6'2", 275, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. No, he isn't. We've actually touched base with the congressman's team. We've exchanged some dates, and we're looking to have him soon join us here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Also, quick programming note before we get into show mentions, we're going to be sitting down on Friday. Noah and I were really excited to finalize this yesterday uh, for the first time with former HUD administrator, cabinet official, and... Pediatric neurosurgeon, Dr. Ben Carson. Nice. Will be joining us on the show for the first time. Can't wait to get a couple of his takes. I want to talk to him about everything from what he thinks the radical trans mafia and all that surgery stuff, the gender affirming care, what it's like being an actual doctor in America and seeing this stuff kind of happen around you, all the way down to his reaction to the lawfare that's being waged on President Trump. So great week. We've only got a day break in between shows. You're welcome. But uh, it makes it a little bit harder for us, but a better listening experience for you all. I do want to remind everybody who's listening to the podcast right now, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to the show. If you have the ability to write a review, Spotify just added it on episode-specific comment sections. So drop some comments there and also give us a five-star rating. And then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, which consequently can no longer be seen in Canada, according to some of our Canada listenership they've been sending us screenshots of when canada they pull up the steak for breakfast podcast account in canada and it says page not available oh we made it gotta love or, it or so 
But yeah, make sure you're following all of our social media accounts and then hit the notification bell so anytime we put out anything pertinent to the show, it gets delivered directly to your notifications. All right, someone who's been absolutely crushing it for America First lately, and it's something we touched with on with our montage to start the show, is, again, Florida Congressman Corey Mills. Uh, he's been doing a lot of press lately. He joined us on the show last Friday. Always great to sit down with him. We'll have him on again in the early portions of September once they get back up on Capitol Hill. But he's really been holding the line in regards to wanting to hold the administration accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. I just want to remind everybody who may not know the backstory of Congressman Mills, during the Afghan withdrawal, Corey Mills and a couple of his former operator buds, they chartered a plane, they flew it into the hot zone, they were not given permissions to land or evacuate anybody by Joe Biden's government, and they got people out of Afghanistan. And it was extremely hot. And then this guy came back and put on his suit and tie and went up to Capitol Hill and started championing the fact that people that were behind that withdrawal and for the fact that they call it a, a resounding success and that they didn't miss one benchmark. That's disrespectful. Have not been held accountable. You know, just to hear the congressman talk about it, you can't help but get an emotional reaction to it. I do all the time because I, I think about some of the images from that day and we didn't even get to see the worst of it. So I saw him talking about this on the news yesterday. I thought it would have been great to play a little portion of it on the show. Let's hear it. This as Florida Congressman Corey Mills files articles of impeachment against Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, alleging high crimes and misdemeanors. Congressman Mills posting the articles on X, it's writing this, high-level officials in this administration blatantly ignored intelligence that Americans and our allied partners in Kabul would be left behind in harm's way unless the U.S. corrected course in our withdrawal. Congressman Corey Mills joins me now. He's a member of the House Armed Services and Foreign Affairs Committees. Congressman, thanks very much for being here. And I know this is personal to you. You have served our country with honor. Uh, Congressman, tell us what happened here and how Lloyd Austin uh, blew it. Well, thanks for having me back on, Maria. The bottom line is, is that Lloyd Austin is ultimately responsible as the Secretary of Defense for any of the actions that take place within the Department of Defense. We know that he tried to claim that there was no credible in intel that would have actually have led and or prevented the incident that occurred. Now, I've had the privilege of going into the skiff into a secure area and actually reading the intel documents that tell a very different story. The bottom line is that there was not only credible intel, but then you had the 23 diplomats who had signed the State Department of Sent cables that was also available to this administration. When you look at his inability to get status of forces agreements, when you look at his inability to protect the, off the uh, commanders, the officers, and the soldiers abroad when it came to the Afghan withdrawal, it's a very clear dereliction of duty. And I've asked Secretary Austin very clearly, can you be removed for, for a dereliction of duty? He said yes. I explained to him the crime and asked if that would have been something for a removal offense by the officer in one of our hearings. He said yes. What he didn't realize is that I was referring and talking about him, not about another commander. And so at that point, I looked at the hearing, I looked at the investigation, I looked at the individual documents, and I determined that he is ultimately accountable when it comes to the Department of Defense and for what was taking place. Now, Noah, you're our foreign affairs correspondent. Of course. You know how this all went down. We've outlined it in extent on the show. We've played clips from the hearings. We've had congressmen come on the show and, and elaborate both on their firsthand experiences and what it was like, you know, both questioning these people and then looking at some classified information that would confirm some of the questioning that they would provide. 
When you see the way that the American military to this point has been absolutely degraded over the last nearly three years and the fact that people who are at the top echelon of command and control for our military have been hailed as heroes for the Afghan withdrawal, uh, basically stomping over the blood of the servicemen and women who were killed and maimed and dismembered in Afghanistan that day. What, what's just a reaction that you get, a little bit of commentary you could provide on just a little bit of insight on how you feel when you hear this stuff? Well, when they when they try to say that it was a successful withdrawal and it, you know, I mean, if you're going to compare it to something, people always say like, oh, it's, you know, smooth like a Swiss clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a Swiss clock in a coffee can full of shit. That would be my description for how that whole thing went. And just for them to just completely disrespect the people that died over there and disrespect the people that got left behind when no one was supposed to get left behind, it's just the most disgusting thing that our government has done recently. There, there are still American citizens there. Yeah. They, they, you know, you have Secretary Lloyd and, and General Milley refusing to go to these hearings for Gold Star families. It's ridiculous. And, and you've got Joe Biden that, you know reiterating over and over again on the campaign trail that the American military has never missed a benchmark and the Afghanistan withdrawal is included in that. Well, maybe they just had their standards set really low. Man, the military might we had just less than three years ago. I, I, it's like night and day. Well, we're focusing on the most idiotic fucking bullshit. We spent, what, probably the, the better part of two years trying to kick people out of the military for some nonsense that didn't, that now looking back was pointless. Now we're inserting all this woke, idiotic nonsense in there. You're going to have people joining the military to get sex changes, and then when they get their sex changed, they're not deployable, so they're just basically just useless... Government waste? Government waste, Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know if you heard. They're thinking about bringing the uh, Ukrainian pilots over here to train in the... uh, They're going to take them to uh, Top Gun? New Mexico <laughs> desert, because here's the thing. I don't know if you heard this one as well. The top Ukrainian pilot. I feel like the beach volleyball games are going to be less, you know. Ukrainian? <laughs> but more Ukrainian. There you go. <laughs> so the top Ukrainian pilot and uh, two of his counterparts they died. The, they got the ghost of Kiv? They died over the weekend. Oh, whoops. So I didn't know this. So there's seats opening. Maybe you could elaborate. There's practice planes? Practice planes? Yeah. I they, mean, I, w- I would assume there's... Fleet models, and then there's the these are the ones that we just go put through the paces. Yeah, I could see that. Okay, so they were in Greece, and they were using the planes that they were getting uh, familiar with in lieu of the F-16s heading over there. And, hey, I got a number on that, too. 101 F-16s. 101 F-16s? That's a lot. That's a lot. I wonder how many of those are coming out of our cachet of, we need this in case shit goes down. Probably most of them. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they flew into each other. And they're dead. So. Did you also hear. Uh, they flew. <laughs> yeah. They flew into each other. Did you also hear what Vladimir said over the weekend? That they shan't be holding elections for president in Ukraine unless the NATO allies, including the U.S., pays for it because they cannot. So we're paying for their bloated government pensions. We're paying for fucking Zelensky's green track suits and now we're going to pay for their and i can only assume it's going to be free and fair free and fucking fair election that they're going to have over there oh. i mean well i mean i guess we would be the people to put it on yeah makes perfect sense 
We're talking UCIA. Yeah, thanks. Speaking of the CIA, I started watching uh, that Tom Cruise movie about uh, what's his name, the the guy that was flying all the the guns and stuff to the Sandinistas. Okay, it's interesting the way that that movie kind of purports all that shit went down. It, it it basically just makes it look like this guy. Of I mean, obviously, you know, he's a smuggler already. Like they bring up the entire. Uh, beginning part of the movie where the CIA guy catches him smuggling cigars or whatever, right? But it kind of makes it look like he was really the brainchild of of doing all of it, and the CIA wasn't really that involved. They were surprised. Funny how that stuff works out, huh? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not buying it. Well, and you almost don't even notice it in the movie. It's very subtle. Yeah, I mean, listen, they tell you what they're doing every single day. Yeah, I, if you're gonna if you're gonna look at what's going on in 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 the world, and if you're going to look at what's going on in politics, I think Scandal's probably a little bit more of a realistic view, probably, that, that series. Than watching Joe Biden and KGP and Kamala Harris try to do it? <laughs> the buses are yellow, they go here, and then they go there. Because that's what buses do. <laughs> Last clip of the segment, and let's not get our hopes up, but I was watching Greg Kelly yesterday. He was kind of going in on the, on the Joe Biden impeachment route. And uh, provide a little bit of information of something that's coming down the pike, a pre-election October surprise. Let's hear it. But he hasn't seen the half of it yet. There is an audio tape, I am told, by people in the know, uh, not necessarily in government, not necessarily out of government. I can't say too much. Um, but there is incontrovertible evidence of Joe Biden's corruption that is about to be made public. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen before Labor Day, but it will happen sometime between Labor Day and Halloween. This tape will be made public. I'm not sure by what entity at this point, but once it is heard, Joe Biden will have, well, he'll have only two options. Number one, he will not be able to remain a candidate for the presidency for re-election. It will be over and done with. The only thing that mm, he might be able to do potentially, but probably not, is remain as president. I am told this tape is that incriminating and they're worried about it right now at the White House. They know about it. They know it's out there. There may be more than one and it makes a lot of sense. Here's the thing. <laughs> I watched that last night. I texted a couple people in the know, some who are in government, some who are out of government, some in the consulting class, formerly of the intelligence community. And I said, I sent them the clip and I said, what's the percentage? And they said, probably 100%, probably more than one tape. Will we ever see it? Will that light ever be shown to the American people? They Got said, it. that's where you draw the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anything that makes this administration look bad is either memory hold. Crushed. Crushed. Or Donald Trump is indicted. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or the person disappears. Oof, don't want to start seeing that. Listen, we, we got to stay on this. We got to figure out which way we're going to go. I know a lot of people at the top tier of America First, especially those in Trump world, would much rather see Alejandro Mayorkas, Merrick Garland, and Christopher Wray removed from their positions legally so that we can finally get rid of some of the deep-rooted rot up on Capitol Hill. But it looks like... They are going to try and prevent Joe Biden, at least for running for re-election. Now, here's the thing, Noah. What do you think? 
We've talked about this with a lot of people on the show. Everyone from Cash and Devin to Liz and Christina, you know, you name it, people that have worked close to the president. The one thing we've always talked about on the show is that even though there's a lot of avenues that point to rigged and stolen, Donald Trump still hasn't been proven 100% absolutely right. Now, let's say that these tapes exist, and that can be correlated to the Hunter Biden laptop and the 51 former intelligence officials and all the other stuff that went down to kind of shimmy its way into the 2020 presidential election. Does Joe Biden being found guilty of impeachable offenses and eventually being impeached after Donald Trump tried to allege these things that happened and was stopped by Chris Wallace, who will never be his father, mm. and is a bitchy little man, on the debate stage <laughs> mean that Donald Trump has pretty much been vindicated in proving rigged and stolenness? I mean, vindicated, yes, but there... I mean, what was I reading? There was something about... They were really trying to put out an article saying that only 400 cases of voter uh, fraud were found. It's like, well, that's some voter fraud. Like, that is the fucking answer. There is voter fraud. Yeah. I mean, just the case in Wisconsin alone that Andrew Coster talked to us about. I think about, that might have been the one I, was, I might have been thinking about. You're talking about 7,000 ballots. That's just one instance in a swing state. And, you know, you talk about the Rust Belt. Donald Trump lost the Rust Belt by 42,000 votes separate. You had 74 million votes for Donald Trump, supposedly 81 million votes for Joe Biden, and the presidential election was decided by 42,000 votes. That's a fraction of a percent. Yeah, so... This next election, if Donald Trump makes it in, which I, I believe he will, mm -hmm. if they keep up, I mean, obviously there's going to be people watching. Uh, are, are, are there still going to be Zucker boxes? Who knows? I would assume so. But there's going to be people watching this shit like a hawk. A lot more people involved. Okay. And then on top of that, let's say, for instance, they can bring the Pelican cases from under the table and have water pipes explode and all the other fucking nonsense that happened. Several states just stop counting. Yeah, just like, oh, we're just going to stop counting and then pick, send everybody home and then... Pick it up on Thursday. Pick it up on Thursday <laughs> while somebody's working over the weekend getting paid double time. That case just got thrown out of court, by the way. Perfect. Let me guess. No standing? Of course. Of course. Even though she Instagram lived about it. Yeah, no standing is the fucking cop-out. But what was I saying? So if they continue the way that they were the last one and inject all these, you know, whatever legitimate ballots, f fake ballots, whatever you want to call them, whatever they are. And then the Republican side does their ballot harvesting operation. We're going to quickly get to a level of votes that are not reasonable to exist in the United States. Like, I'm not going to say we're going to eclipse the fucking population, but we're going to eclipse the population of the voting public. It seemed like there was quite a surge in the last election cycle that, well, it's one that we've never seen before. Well, yeah, there's no fucking way that fucking Biden got more votes than Obama. And the fact of the matter is that everybody usually gets around 60-something and change, and then you've got one person at nearly 75 and another person at 81 yeah, and in the one 70, cycle. And the 75 is the believable number because Donald Trump was getting the votes of the American people, the people that are left out, hanging out to dry, that are sick of government bullshit and corruption, and they want something to change. I'm assuming there wasn't a lot of uh, pristinely printed out, bubbled in Donald Trump ballots across the country. Nah. I, I do really feel in my heart of hearts that those 74 million ballots were genuine. Yeah. 
And you know, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount the possibility that there are bad actors on our side as well who mm-hmm. who are doing sketchy shit like that. Even if it's just like, you know, like oh my mother just died and I filled out her ballot or whatever. Right. You know, just shit like that. Like whatever. But they ain't working at the ballot centers. No, it's not. It, yeah, those aren't the people that are running the shit. They're not printing to fucking women. palming SD cards like yeah. like palming cards. Like who, who does that? What are you working on your fucking magic fucking <laughs> routine come on all right let's bring it back let's bring it back we talk about election interference oh there you go listen we're getting ready to jump in with john pierce we're going to be talking about the continuing witch hunt against donald trump we got it started off pretty good right now but before we do that let's hear from one of our partners i think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep pillow king of minnesota mike lindell and the apparatus known as the my pillow family has been cranking out savings down at my pillow for over 20 years and for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this Wednesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the chairman of the National Constitutional Law Union. Joining us again, always happy to talk with Mr. John Pierce. Thanks for joining us on the show. Great to be here again. Thank you so much. Well, one of the things we, we love to track you on is all the hard work you're doing for people who are caught up in the webs of the January 6th, whatever you want to call it. But we know you've worked on so many cases and you, you've had the best record by far of, of any lawyer defending some of these people in, in court, John. And we wanted to know if you could give us some of the updates on uh, cases that you're working on. You don't have to get into specifics, but just kind of talk about some of the things that you're working on so our listenership can get all caught up to date on the great stuff that you're doing. Uh, sure thing. Absolutely. And thank you so much for uh, for mentioning that. Um, you know, these folks are going through an incredible ordeal and it's really an honor to be representing all of them. Um, so essentially, we have trial after trial after trial that that are stacked up sort of right now and uh, going forward the rest of the calendar year and into 2024. Um, so we just finished a, a trial, a jury trial last week. Uh, we have one that starts on September 5th. Uh, we have ones on September 26th, October 2nd, October 16th. Uh, we have trials in January, uh, then in December, and then in January, we have a trial uh, before Judge Chutkin on um, January 8th, uh, the same judge that has President Trump's case, and then more trials going forward. Um, and then on March 4th, actually, uh, believe it or not, we have a, uh, a big felony January 6th trial before Judge Nichols at the exact same time that uh, President Trump's trial starts before Judge Chutkin. So um, lots going on. We just got another count dismissed um, uh, with respect to the trial. It's going to start on September 5th. So that makes 15 counts um, that, uh, you know, we in the folks that are affiliated with NCLU have gotten either dismissed before trial, uh, got not guilty verdicts on, uh, or uh, hung juries um, that have led to dismissals. So um, it's a, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough uphill battle uh, in DC um, for sure, but uh, we're having as much success as anybody. Well, here's the thing, John, I want you to elaborate a little bit just on part of your methodology and like the tenacity that goes into your win loss record is not something to laugh at. And it, you know, 
overshadows all the other people who have not had the same amount of luck that you have uh, based off the hard work that you guys are doing inside the courtroom with these, you know, whether you get these radical liberal plants of judges or you get impartisan juries who, uh, you know, are just looking to put people in jail forever for essentially misdemeanors that criminals across the country are walking in and out of stores, pun intended, and in and out of processing centers just as fast. And, and, and you're actually getting these charges dropped. You're getting the sentences reduced. And in some cases, you're getting these people off for things that they did or did not do on, uh, in and around January 6th. And I just want to know, what is it when you sit down and you start looking at these cases that you know the mental mindset that goes into preparing for you know this hostile environment that if you watch any kind of the mainstream media, you know you're, you're absolutely up against it when you're going into the courtroom and then you have to fight to claw back just to base level before you can go and start getting some of these charges dropped or removed. Uh, sure. So that's a great question. I, I think there are a few um, things that come to mind. Um, you know, number one is that um, you, you have to fight over every inch of terrain uh, in these uh, cases in front of the district court at the trial level, um, because uh, not only does it help to condition the battlefield for the actual trial, <clears throat> but, you know, with respect to a lot of these cases, um, you know, we're going to win as many as we can, but we're going to we're not we're not going to win. Um, we're not going to win all of them for sure. And the ones that we don't, we have to be set up uh, for appeal, uh, both in the uh, D.C. Circuit Court of Appeal and then ultimately the Supreme Court. So, you know, I think one thing that we do, um, you know, myself and, and our team and the, the lawyers that are affiliated with us, you know, we file every possible motion. Um, we, we look for every single uh, you know, meritorious thing that we can argue at the trial court so we can make sure we have things ready for appeal. The, the other thing is that um, you really have to lean into the evidence and what actually happened on January 6th. Um, the, the, the only way to convince these um, jurors to acquit these folks is you, you have to you have to show them every single moment of video. You can't hide from what happened with respect to uh, any uh, defendant. You have to um, you know, you have to tell the most credible story to the jury in terms of what actually uh, happened um, and have them, you know, see that it's the other side that's actually trying to, you know, hide the ball or shade the truth uh, a little bit. And then you have to drape, you know, that narrative in terms of what actually happened, the true narrative um, over a theory of the law um, that actually, uh, you know, that actually works. So, um, you know, we 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 approach every case as if it's uh, honestly as if it's a death penalty case, whether it's a misdemeanor case or a felony case. And, uh, you know, we, we file every motion and we really lean into the evidence and make sure the jury understands what actually happened. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, playing the long game and, and getting into the faces of the opposition is not something that you normally see from conservative lawyers. There are some out there. There are other other fighters out there. I'm not going to take credit away from, from them. We have a lot of them come through our show. But when you talk about, you know, uh, the plan that goes into being able to you know, get these defendants back down to where they should be when it comes to sentencing, et cetera. I, I think that you guys have done an outstanding job, and, and it's always great tracking on some of the great works that you're doing uh, for all. These I'll give you. I'll give you. Uh, uh, sorry to interject, but uh, you know, a couple examples you might have seen. You know, there was a week um, about a month ago where we had two sentencings um, for January six cases. One was a um, a felony plea deal, actually, and one was a, a misdemeanor plea deal. And in each case, the government was looking for three to four months um, of incarceration. And in both instances, um, you know, we fought as hard in the sentencing as uh, we do in the trials. And, and we were successful in getting no incarceration uh, for either defendant. And so, you know, it's it's every step of this process is important, um, including the trial, including pretrial motions, the trial, sentencing and onward to appeals. 
Yeah, that's just wild to see how this is all kind of playing out, and we, we can't appreciate the, the work that you're doing out there enough, John. Listen, we just got done talking about a possible road to impeachment for Joe Biden. Uh, we here on the show feel like it's kind of a waste of time. However, thresholds for certain you know high crimes and misdemeanors have obviously uh, been passed with some of the evidence that the House Judiciary and Oversight Committees have been working on so aggressively over the course of the last year and a half. Uh, you know, the, the investigations led by Jim Jordan and Jamie Comer. You've had former business partners give statements to Congress. You've had former officials in, in the Ukrainian uh law for firms and, and government come in and, and do interviews on Fox News recently, like the one that happened over the weekend with the former prosecutor in Ukraine and, and Brian Kilmeade. And then, you know, all of the shell companies and the aliases, the burner phones, et cetera, the stuff that they said never existed, apparently existed. They're all the way up to and, and including things that are still in the National Archive, nearly 6,000 records of such. When you see what's going on right now and how this is playing out, we all know that Republicans in general are not going to be as aggressive as Democrats because if this was, let's just say, Donald Trump in, in the White House right now and they were talking about his business dealings with his kids, he have already probably would have been impeached and removed from office. So do you see this playing out in the end to where Joe Biden is going to receive any kind of consequence whatsoever? We know uh, the centerpiece of this is Hunter Biden, and that goes to private citizen Hunter Biden. There's fairer things you could look at and tax things you could look at. But when it comes to tying it back to Joe Biden, do you think that they were as sloppy as House Republicans are maybe saying they might have been over the years and just it became like normalcy, like out in plain sight and nobody said anything about it? Or, or do you think this is just something that's going to eventually go away? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm pessimistic that um, that Joe Biden himself will ever really face any consequences for this, mainly because I, I really have little to no faith at this point um, in the establishment GOP and the House GOP leadership. Um, you know, I, I would, um, uh, you know, I'd like to see them do anything, honestly, that um, would would help in, in this fight. Um, whether it's you know wh whether it's impeachment or it's more importantly to me. They should be immediately defunding um, these prosecutions. They should be defunding the FBI and the DOJ. They should be releasing the January 6th tapes as they promised. They should be having a real January 6th investigation. And of course, they've done none of that. Um, and so, you know, I think I think lots of folks uh, on our on our side in our camp are extremely frustrated with that. So, um, you know, uh, at this point, I'll take anything if the uh, House GOP would actually take some real steps, um, you know, to help in this fight. I. I mean, I'm doubtful that uh, I, th I think you'll hear lip service about an impeachment, but um, I mean, I'm just doubtful that they'll ever actually uh, pull the trigger on that. Now, let's flip the coin to to the Democrat side and, and, you know, get your opinion on what real Democrat investigations look like. So the former president, who's currently the leading candidate in just about all the polls, he's the presumptive nominee on the GOP side. We're talking about Donald Trump, uh, you know, 91 counts, thousands of years in jail. Uh, you know, nets that have snared dozens of people into these accusations of, of crimes with him. Uh, you know, multiple states, multiple dates. The prospective dates that they're laying out there right now, you know, run right into Super Tuesday, the Iowa caucuses, campaign events, etc. When you see what's going on with Donald Trump and how they've handled it legally to this point, what's just a little bit of commentary on, on how you're seeing this kind of unfold? And in the end, where do you see, you know, some of these things, let's just say uh, the Georgia case and, and the Jack Smith special counsel into the document investigation going? So I think, you know, the first reaction is what I think everybody can see who's fair minded in this country, 
which is this is obvious political lawfare and it's um, election interference of the of the highest degree. Um, and that's 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 clear from every single angle of these cases and, and the dates that are being um you know, asked for uh, by the government, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, honestly, I think it could really backfire uh, on the left because I think that, um, you know, to a certain extent, uh, the persecution of Donald Trump is going to become the campaign and it is going to expose not only how corrupt the deep state and the left is, but it will also give him an opportunity, you know, to prove uh, many things about the uh, 2020 election that he hasn't had a chance to. So, um uh, you know, I think it will. Uh, I think it will backfire. I, you know, the most uh, significant sort of legal angle to this, and you might have seen this, is that the uh, the NCLU put out a, um, a white paper, a strategy memorandum, yep. uh, in which you know we we argue what I think is very clear, which is President Trump should essentially be immune from these prosecutions because um, you know under the Constitution, the way the Constitution works, uh, he should not be able to be charged criminally uh, for. Um, acts that occurred in connection with you know anything within the outer perimeter um, of his role as uh, as president um and i think that's uh you know very clear based on the case law and the constitution and so you know i'd like to see uh president trump's legal team be very aggressive in taking that issue to the uh to the supreme court uh you know sooner rather than later and um you know trying to trying to move past these things and uh, really focus on the campaign no, that's what I was going to follow up on. And Gavin had mentioned it last time he was on the show, and we were going to be sure to touch on that with you, that that documented kind of the blueprint of how they should attack this thing. We heard it's been well-received over in Trump world, and we're hoping to see a very aggressive posture from from the Trump legal team, as they often profess when they come on the show. Uh, last thing I want to touch on, John, and, and this sticks in the thread of, of the Trump investigations, namely the Fulton County case. Constitutional attorney like yourself, someone who's an absolute fighter, when you talk about what's left of the Constitution after the Democrats have had their way with it over the last couple decades, and how important of a First Amendment case this trial down in Fulton County will eventually be as setting a premise for where the First Amendment still stands in this country. What can you say about that? I mean, you have to be kind of foaming at the mouth to see it on display like this. It's most likely going to get taken to the Supreme Court at some point, and they're going to make a ruling on it that's going to be absolutely historic because what they're doing now is essentially saying the First Amendment doesn't matter. If you have an opinion or if someone tells you an opinion, if you think that's the correct opinion, then someone tells you something else and you say, well, I don't really like that opinion. But the Justice Department says you should have listened to the other guy. It's like, why even have an opinion or be able to say anything? So what can you say about that? Well, it's a direct assault on the First Amendment, and it, it is sort of the the peak um, of of what we've seen over the past several years, which is the criminalization of of, of political speech and political um, uh, actions in America. And it's essentially trying to replace politics with the criminal justice system, um, and it's to the point where you know they're they're essentially trying to hold him criminally liable for his for his thoughts for his opinions for his tweets um and the precedent it sets is absolutely horrendous i mean if if this kind of thing is allowed to occur um the first amendment won't exist anymore and, and we will be in a downward spiral uh similar to the last days of the roman republic where uh you know politics will devolve into uh sort of essentially you know lawfare and, and full spectrum warfare where each side is trying to throw the other side in jail and uh there's not a good end for that for anybody no oh, better make sure you pay the troops as well we all know how that goes down i really hate how we're we're just recreating the fall of the Roman Empire, like the U.S. is jumping the shark right now. I'd like to see Donald Trump in one of those, like, you know, Caesar robes, though. Maybe some sandals. <laughs> I could see it. The, uh, the leaves in his head. 
I'd like it. He's got those built in. Well, that's true. He does have the wing tips. Uh, John, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. Always a pleasure hosting you on the show. Again, we can't thank you enough for all the hard work you're doing out there to uh, protect our constitutional rights and the rights of those who are being politically persecuted. We're going to link the Law Center in the uh, show description today. If you want to give the address for that and then your social media handles, we'll live link that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we finally got the uh, .org, which is great. So it's uh, the website is www.nclu.org. Uh, please go there and, and help as much as you can. This is the most important fight, you know, for freedom we've pretty much uh, ever had. My social media is on Twitter at CaliKidJMP. This man is absolutely at the front lines of the fight for, you know, our Constitution and all things such. This is the chairman of the National Constitutional Law Union, Mr. John Pierce. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much. Look forward to next time. You've got Three prosecutors, two state level, one federal, uh, and what they're doing is these four sham indictments with 91 charges. Uh, and if this isn't election interference, uh, you know, then I don't know what this is. So we have to defund this at the federal level. That's what Congress does. We use the power of the purse uh, to make sure that our nation abides by the Constitution. And that's what we're doing here. So these two amendments, one which would uh, defund any federal prosecution. Now, that doesn't mean investigation. They can investigate all they want, but they cannot prosecute before the American people have their say in the matter. What as to who is going to become the next president of the United States. And then on the, on the state level, uh, it would deny all federal funding to any office, state or local office, that does the same thing, that prosecutes a major presidential candidate because the American people have to have their say. This is total election interference when you see the, the Department of Justice being weaponized with criminal prosecution of a of a political opponent. I mean, you have Joe Biden using the Department of Justice against his political enemy to to try and derail the campaign of his primary opponent. That's banana republic stuff. That is not what we do here in the United States of America. That was Georgia Representative Andrew Clyde, Mike Collins' congressional counterpart. And it was great sitting down and getting a little uh, constitutional information from John Pierce right there. All right, we're going to take a, a little peek into the constant witch hunts that are going on against President Trump right now. You know, there's so many different avenues and, and directions we can touch, and we're, we're going to try and touch as many of them as possible in the most appropriate manner as well. Uh, Noah, you have seen uh, over the course of the last week some of these dates that are getting set up in court. Uh, obviously, one uh, just uh, a day before Super Tuesday, mm -hmm. and then one uh, a day or two before the Iowa caucuses. How does anybody see this? And not be like, ah, you know, I believe the coincidence every once in a while that it's like the day before or after Biden fucks something up, then fucking Trump gets impeached. You could set your clock to it at this point. Yeah. I wouldn't even bother, like, if you were offering bets in Vegas. Like, you're like, I can't. I can't. It's just, it's, it's what's the point? We know it's going to happen. Now, you've heard also probably in the instance of the Jack Smith special counsel into the document investigation, there is between 13 and 15 million pages of documents and the judge there i don't really know how to pronounce her name but i've given her a new nickname her name's like chutkin chutkin we're gonna call her judge chungus <laughs> judge chungus yeah like big chungus you know the fat bugs bunny yeah i put it in a group chat the other day and it was carl like hungus immediately big chungus body with her face on it i was like that's perfect <laughs> my willow memes we know you listen thank you for that nice 
But here's the thing. What can Donald Trump do, literally, when he's ordered to come into court? I mean, obviously, they're going to fight and try to mediate for dates around this, but, you know, all of the judges involved, except for Judge Cannon down in Florida, have essentially said that they don't honestly care about his political ventures or any campaign-related activities. They won't set the dates on an actual election day. Therefore, he's almost legally required to be there. That's such bullshit. It's getting ugly. It's getting ridiculous. It's not even ugly anymore. It's been it's been past ugly for a while. I just don't understand, you know, how so many people could just sit on their hands right now on both sides of the aisle and don't think that this isn't coming their way to, to a theater near you. You know, it's it's one of those things where you have to take into consideration like Donald Trump is one man and, and, and it's it's getting old at this point to say when they're done with him they're coming for other people but it's not necessarily going to be no, they're multitasking they're coming for everybody yeah and you can see it by the way that they've launched this web out that snared everybody else in there in the georgia case so and and now i'm looking at some of these these court snippets that are coming out here's one from yesterday president donald trump and his 18 co-defendants are scheduled to appear in fulton county georgia for their arraignment on september 6th Donald Trump will appear in the courtroom at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time and hear the charges against him and enter his plea, followed by Rudy Giuliani and his other co-defendants in 15-minute increments throughout the day. So they just want to parade everybody in there to make them look all sad and alone with their legal teams and then have them come out and issue a statement and just turn it into a big fucking production and, and, and make it look like they're actually winning. It's just really disappointing to see the way that this is all shaping up. And, and when you look at some of the people who are involved, I'm going to play a couple of clips now we're going to get into. I saw, believe it or not, John Eastman jumped on with Laura Ingram yesterday at the... I was kind of shocked when I saw... I, I thought it was him, and then I turned up the volume, and it was actually him. And, and before I explain it all, I'm just going to let the Botox queen here, Laura Ingram, kind of lead in and uh, let you know exactly what could potentially happen to John Eastman by him appearing on nationally broadcast cable news and, and, and telling portions of what his testimony is going to eventually be. Let's hear it. Why did you decide to speak out tonight, knowing um, that anything you say to the media or uh, to this uh, program could then be potentially used against you? Well, Laura, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, look, I've been speaking out all along. Uh, we did nothing wrong. We were challenging the election for what even uh, Vice President Pence described as serious allegations of fraud and numerous instances of officials violating state law. And if we can't speak out about that, then our freedom of speech, our right to petition the government for redress of grievances are gone. But also importantly, I'm an attorney and you know the people that I was representing had a right to counsel. And what's going on here with the bar complaints against everybody involved in any of the litigation, this Fulton County complaint, the unindicted co-conspirators in the federal action, they're trying to stifle people from being able to get representation in election challenges. They've made that very clear that that's what they're up to and we can't allow it to happen. Now, Noah, when you see somebody like John Eastman going and sticking his neck out there on, on television, he kind of echoed the same thing that Jeffrey Clark did uh, when he walked out of the courthouse after he was arraigned last week and said, well, the election was rigged and stolen, and I don't believe that it was legitimate, and I think we won. And they asked him if he had any other comment, and he said, no, I don't care, and got in his car and left. That's what everybody needs to do now. No beating around the bush, no trying to, like, oh, you know, I don't really want to say anything that's going to get me in the crosshairs. Like, you're already in the fucking crosshairs. Just say what you mean. Say what's going on. 
I mean, so much of the stuff leaking out into the media now, like people are seeing it now, and they're really starting to wake up. I got a, I got another one from Eastman. He would go on to uh, take his talking point when Laura Ingram pushed back a little bit, saying it might not have been the brightest move. Remember, she she clerked uh, for the Supreme Court as a young unbotoxed queen, and uh, John Eastman pushed right back on that and talking about his constitutional right. Let's hear it. The founder specifically designed it that way so that the president wouldn't owe his job to Congress. It's a core separation of powers principle that the founders adopted, and he just doesn't, he ignores that uh, in his analysis. So the notion that this is well settled is crazy. On the RICO side of the Fulton County case, um, that, that would require findings of bad faith on the part of you know all the co-defendants that were engaged in this RICO conspiracy, according to this Fannie Willis. So on that score, John, that would have to be you all basically agreeing implicitly, explicitly, that y'all knew that this was all phony and that your effort, your, your, your decision amongst yourselves was to advance a plan to overturn the election. And to that, you say? Well... <laughs> Uh, they've got all the evidence. They've got all my emails. My phone was seized over a year ago, so they've got all that stuff as well. And I challenge them to find a single email or communication that supports that uh, implausible theory. Um, I like it. Like you said, Noah, you just got to lay it out there, what actually happened, let everybody know it. Yeah, fuck this tiptoeing around shit. It, guess what? I'm saying it. I don't believe that the election was fair and free. I also want to thank the Botox queen there for her non-help. How do you have someone like John Eastman on the show and all you do is continuously push back on him for four minutes and five seconds that he joined you on the show, Laura? (laughs) I mean, come on now. You know, you go out and you do these long... Come on, man. ...boring monologues about how Donald Trump is the one and the only one, and then you bring on people that are, you know, caught up in the lawfare with them and, and try to push back like... Is this really what you want to do? Is that really where you want to go? Are you sure you weren't, like, scheming up a plan? You sure about that? Exactly. Consequently, and from the other side of the aisle, I saw that uh, Jamie Raskin, who we're no fans of here on Steak for Breakfast, sat down with one of our least favorite interviewers, Catface Dana Bash. Mm. And uh, you'll never believe this, Noah. What? There's some murmurings. Coming out of New Hampshire, he talked about it a little bit broadly. Is good murmurings? No. We'll get into it in a second, but let's hear him first. 2024 presidential candidate Asa Hutchinson, who will join me in a bit, he says that Donald Trump might be disqualified from holding office based on the 14th Amendment, which says that U.S. officials who engage in insurrection or rebellion or aid and comfort them cannot hold office again. You were not only an impeachment manager in, uh, in the January 6th impeachment of Donald Trump, you were a constitutional scholar. So do you Oof. agree with Asa Hutchinson on this? Ada. Well, absolutely. And we've been saying all along that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment presents a clear and unequivocal statement that uh, anyone who has sworn an oath of office, and by the way, not just a president, but members of Congress and uh, others who hold federal office, um, who engage in insurrection or rebellion, having sworn an oath God. to uphold the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic, can never serve again in federal or state office. And this was added after the Civil War as a general constitutional principle, um, and we have to abide by it. 
Uh, Donald Trump was was impeached by the House of Representatives for inciting an insurrection against the union. And then 57 of 100 senators determined as uh, a constitutional fact that Donald Trump had incited an insurrection. Um, so I think you've got robust bicameral bipartisan majorities that have already established this as a fact. And I agree with the conservative Federalist Society law professors who are out there saying, as well as Mr. Hutchinson, that Donald Trump is disqualified just as if he were running uh, and not a born U.S. citizen or if he were running and he were 24 years old. The takeaway from that and the there there is what we've been talking about forever here on the show. He said the congressional bipartisan response. Bipartisan? That agrees with him. He named some conservative think tank, but don't think. Did he misspell banana Republicans? That there aren't some banana Republicans out there who are, can't wait to hold their press conference and say, regardless if Donald Trump's winning by 56 points in the poll, regardless of whether Donald Trump is absolutely stomping out the competition, regardless of whether or not they've waged warfare against him, and this is just a big sham witch hunt hoax. He's SOL. Can't have insurrectionists on the ballot. I saw this week some of the never-Trump delegation of the most senior state officials in the Granite State of New Hampshire are already getting together paperwork to remove Donald Trump from the ballot for the New Hampshire primary. Fantastic. So, and then if that actually happened, if they got him removed from the ballot, then you would have, whether you want to call them good actors or bad actors, calling for a write-in, which would or would not work, depending on the widespreadness of it. But in all reality, it would just suck votes away from a candidate who could actually win. Chris Christie's currently pulling in second there and eating every pancake in sight. Ugh. Yeah, but I mean, we're, we're just looking at handing the Democrats a win. Yeah. Just want to remind everybody, wherever they're listening today, every downloadable podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, make sure you subscribe to the show, five-star rating, leave a review, all the social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, and please follow and hit the notification bell there as well. No, I know you've been saving the garrison button, but don't worry. I've picked a great clip. Mm. There's this dude on MSNBC. You usually hear him. Like an actual dude or like a dude like nowadays? He's always mad. It's Randy Maddox. Oh! And she was piggybacking off of Jamie Raskin's comments because if we let an insurrectionist onto the ballot, we will eventually have Emperor Trump. Think she was I'm Christy backing? Think I'm bullshitting. Let's hear it. The election means one of two things, if this is the way he's going to approach it. Either he loses the election and he goes to prison, or he wins the election, he doesn't go to prison, and is that for life? That he gets to be president? Will we keep having more elections or no? If every election is a new opportunity for him to go to prison, do you think he allows us to have new elections? I mean, if those are the stakes, if winning the election is his plan to stay out of prison, what happens in that election if and when he does not win it? Does that kind of an election end with a graceful concession to a fair and square re-elected President Biden? I mean, if Trump and his supporters see the stakes as losing and going to prison or winning and being president and probably president for life, how should we expect that he and the Republican Party and Republican officials in swing states are going to handle the conduct of that election that Trump may very well lose? And because we are prone to forget, we 
have to say out loud, I mean, <laughs> that we would be remiss, we would be willfully naive to ask that question as if our politics exists in a vacuum, somewhere outside the rest of our news. As if the politics pages are totally different than the crime pages, right? As if we are not in a moment where far-right politics is oh. coincident with far-right violence, oh, with oh, regular oh. shows of force <laughs> from paramilitary extreme-right groups, oh, and God. with acts of violence by people who are explicitly and admittedly motivated by far-right eliminationist oh, political oh. ideas. Do you believe this dude gets paid $15 million a year to do this horseshit twice a week? Absolutely not. Sometimes they tag team him up with a completely overt racist Joy Reid. And they're, they're paving the way. They're paving the way by broaching the subject of no more elections for us to fucking Zelensky the United States. And, uh, you know, sometimes they even wheel Jen Psaki in there. You're no favorite. more elections until I get my cookies. Mm. Well, here's the deal. Got one more clip. Donald Trump appeared on the Glenn Beck show yesterday via the telephone, did a little interview there. And uh, we're getting ready to jump in with Boris Epstein. Let's hear Glenn Beck and President Trump weighing in on the lawfare. Every case is a scam. Uh, this is just like Russia, Russia, Russia. Remember, I was going to be guilty with Russia, Russia, Russia. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, with 18 radical Democrats and Bob Mueller, the Mueller report said there was no collusion. Everyone yeah. had a heart attack. And uh, then they started Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine. Then they started lying on Pfizer reports. These are bad people. These are sick people. And now uh, we're, we have the biggest lead I've ever had. Uh, mm -hmm. The debate, I actually went up after the debate, as you know. We did your, your friend Tucker's uh, interview, yes. and he had 261 million people, which is an all-time record. Yeah. So when you say, uh, like, I didn't do a debate, I actually didn't do a debate, but I had 261 million people listening versus... 11 million, which mm -hmm. they had, which was one of the lowest rated debates. So uh, I went up uh, fairly substantially after that. And I think the uh, fake indictment that they did in Georgia was uh, yeah. very helpful. And then they insisted on a mugshot, and somehow it turned out to be very iconic. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, this ain't going anywhere. We're going to continue to track it here on the show. President Trump would go on in that interview to say that, listen, now. <laughs> It's, this is a two-way street. If he gets back in office, they're all getting prosecuted. So we'll, we'll see and, and continue to track what's going on there. We're jumping in with Boris. He's coming in hot right now. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, T-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's a senior advisor to President Donald J. Trump for Trump 2024. Always excited when Boris Epstein comes in hot. Boris, thanks for joining us back on the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Well, you guys are about a week out now from the fallout from the first GOP debate. Obviously, all of the pretenders fought over the scraps that President Trump has left for them as, as the meager poll numbers that they're fighting over currently, and uh, Donald Trump's latest arraignment in Fulton County last week. Boris, outside looking in, someone who works very closely and exclusively with President Trump, what can you tell our listenership about the latest on, on how the Trump team is looking at, not only how the field isn't shaping up on the Republican side, but uh, how we're dealing with the lawfare? Thanks so much. Again, an honor to be with you. And if you look at the numbers, 
President Trump is absolutely dominating this election, both the, the primary and the general. Uh, poll came out yesterday for morning consult. In terms of who the Republican voters believe will beat crooked Joe Biden, President Trump is at 62, De Sanctimony is at 13. As you said, the race is not shaping up in any way except for the fact that President Donald J. Trump is running away with it. Why? Because he's the one who's going to truly restore our country. He's going to rebuild our borders, bring back the economy, bring back energy independence and dominance, and he's going to bring back the respect for America from our allies and adversaries. And that's why they're coming at him from every angle. There's no doubt about it. President Trump continues to fight for America, fight for Americans, and win for our country. You know, Boris, we really have to give you a lot of credit here on the show. We have talked with so many people, whether it's the top commentators, former Trump administration officials, uh, people that are closely aligned to the president still, the CEO of Truth Social, Donald Trump Jr. We keep coming back to the same narrative here, whether it's you, Jason Miller, Chris LaCivita, Stephen Chong, Susie, Brian, you guys have formulated a plan for this election cycle to not only deal with the non-contenders in the GOP primary, but still be able to focus on Joe Biden and deal with the lawfare while keeping President Trump insulated at the same time he's still allowed to be himself. And, and it's resonated into one of the smartest presidential primaries uh, probably to date. You guys have been fiscally sound. We haven't had rallies, which cost a ridiculous amount of money every weekend. President Trump has done those more intimate speaking events at the state level with the GOPs, getting to know the people who are going to be out fighting for him on the ground in, in all of these crucial primaries. And, and just the way that you guys have rolled this thing out, blinders on, goal ahead of you guys, we have to be able to give you the credit where it's deserved and a little bit of appreciation here from you know America First and the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Well, that means a lot. We appreciate it so much. And, of course, all it means is that President Donald J. Trump has been working to fulfill what the American people want, which is him back in office as soon as possible. And your champions, this podcast has been an absolute breakthrough. Always signal, signal not noise, as we always say on the, on the Steve Bannon's war room, where the price to stay for breakfast. Too. Always signal not noise for the audience here. And here's what it comes down to. The crooked Democrats, the rhinos, they are obsessed with taking down President Trump. Why? Because he fights for America and Americans. He stands for America and Americans, not for globalists, not for special interests. He's not bought and paid for by, you know, any, any shady groups out there like so many of the others are. President Donald J. Trump cares about one thing and one thing alone, making America great again. And that is not a slogan. That is an action item and exactly what he's going to do again when he's back in office. That's absolutely fantastic to hear. Boris, now, just this is a completely opinion from you. You know, you, you guys, are, you are, you've got your finger on the pulse of all this stuff. The polls are showing that you guys are doing the right thing right now. Obviously, it was a brilliant move to, to pull out of the debates. It wasn't going to do anything to help President Trump's numbers for as much as the American people would like to see him, you know, dunk on some of these candidates. You know, like people like Nikki Haley, who can't start a sentence without saying China and end a sentence without saying Russia, or Ron DeSantis, who's just using some prefabricated focus group talking points. Chris Christie, who's just looking to get a got him at him, and, and all the other ones who are just kind of obscurely sitting there scared to participate because the small numbers that they have are probably going to go down. 
at what point does the does the Trump team, in in your opinion, think? I mean, we already know that President Trump is laser focused on Joe Biden. He's put out so many campaign related videos uh, recently about him. But do, do you think it's going to get to a point soon where you start maybe vetting potential? We're not looking to break news here, but potential vice president candidates. We don't need to name names and start looking at maybe people who are potentially cabinet members in the next administration if you already haven't already. Well, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of the president on that, but here's what I will tell you. That the time is now for all of these pretenders, the Keebler elves, or, you know, pretending that they're in the, in, in this primary while they know that President Donald Trump has won it. It's time for them to drop out and coalesce and support behind President Trump. That's, that's what the American people want. That's what the Republican electorate wants. And anybody who's still pretending that they have a shot against President Donald J. Trump, they're absolutely dreaming. And that, that is a perspective that's united really across not just the Republican spectrum, but the political spectrum in America. So, you know, whether it's Ron DeSanctimonious or any of the others who you mentioned, they need to look at themselves in the mirror, look around, and say, okay, the American people want President Donald J. Trump. Let's stop fighting against that, and let's go unite behind President Trump and fight against the, the lawfare, fight against the targeting, fight against the weaponization of law enforcement, fight against the breakdown of our country, fight against crooked Joe Biden, and win. And the only person that could do that is President Donald J. Trump. That's an excellent point. Boris, what do you think about some of the people on the conservative side of, of, of the press, let's say podcasts, you know, nationally syndicated shows, media entities who still want to promote the, the narrative that Donald Trump isn't an electable candidate once we get to the general election season? It seems like uh, there's been at least a dozen polls over the last several weeks that have showed Donald Scoreboard. Trump beating Joe Biden in a head-to-head matchup, even when there's three candidates. And uh, what do you think the role is? of Are these people that are being directed by people like Mitt Romney and Mitch McConnell or maybe the RNC? What do you think that it is that they have to go out there and say, like, okay, Donald Trump's going to have fun in the primary, like, doing his thing, but then he gets to the general election and he's going to wind up losing to Joe Biden again. We, we know that's not the case, but w- what is the methodology behind that? What does that help in any way, shape, or form to get this country back on the right track? There is no methodology. These people are either just filling for there's some sort of ballots, for clicks, whatever they're doing, but they are dreaming and they're lying. Because President Donald J. Trump not only is leading all these polls, he's electable because he's been elected. He was elected president in 2016, let's be honest, one in 2020, and he will win again in 2024, and the numbers bear that out. He is, as you said, dominating crooked Joe Biden all across, all across the polls, and it's showing up. Joe Biden is falling like a rock including with African-American men. He's falling with, with minorities. He's falling with college-educated uh, Americans. He's having a terrible time. Why? Because the American people know that Joe Biden is simply not up to the task of leading our country, and only President Trump is. Boris, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's something that's very important to our listenership. I think we're all across America first. There are a lot of people who are worried about Donald Trump. You know, all this stuff that's going on around him, the lawfare, how it's affected his family, the people that, you know, proudly served under him in the first administration, probably a lot of them who intend on serving with him in the next administration as well. Can you just reassure our listenership that the Donald Trump we see out there on the golf course and when he gets out of the car and speaks to the press or goes out into the community and is the only touchable political candidate in, in recent memory that is, is really a man of and for the people and that he's doing well and it's all of the positive energy in America first that, that's keeping him going every day? Let me say this, and it's an honor for me to be able to report to you, to MAGA, to this audience, that President Donald J. Trump is the authentic 
is is the determined, strong candidate, the determined, strong leader, the determined, strong president that he's always been. And and I will tell you that right now, President Trump is firing all donors unlike any, any member of the political class, any American leader ever had. President Trump is absolutely crushing it. And what you see in these interviews, what you see out there in the videos, is exactly what you get. And, and you know why? Because President Trump has that one thing that no other political candidate, political leader, member of, you know, member of the political arena has, and that is authenticity. And he's got it in spades and better than ever. Uh, I love it, and I think our listenership is really going to enjoy hearing that report as well. Boris, this has been awesome catching up with you. We really appreciate We know you guys are having a busy week, a lot of meetings down in Trump world this week, strategizing what the next moves are for the Trump team, and you took a little bit of time to come and share with our listenership today. It's my pleasure. We're going to live link your website and the Trump campaign in the show description today. For anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it. Please check out the website. It's hotborostv.com, hotborostv.com. Hot on Getter at Boris CP, Twitter at Boris CP, Hot on True Social at Boris, and of course, Hot on From the Ground Boris on the Scrub side. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless your audience and all offense. Absolutely scorching hot on steak for breakfast today. This is Senior Advisor and Special Assistant to the President of the United States, Mr. Donald John Trump. Boris Epstein, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. God bless. Ask question. Uh, you said that you weren't uh, you weren't going, but you would be watching the uh, the debate. For a vice president, have you thought of Vice President Ramaswamy? Well, I think he's great. Look, anybody that said I'm the best uh, president in a generation, I don't know. You'll have to define generation, but so long time. And uh, he said it a couple of times, and he said it in a hundred years. So I have to like a guy like that. You know, I can't get up, upset with him. But he's a smart guy. Uh, he's a young guy. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. He's a very, very, uh, a very intelligent person. He's got good energy, and he he could be in some form of something. I tell you, I think he'd be very good. I think mm. he's very good. I think he's really distinguished himself. He's starting to get out there a little bit. He's a little bit getting a little bit controversial. I got to tell him be a little bit careful because <laughs> some things you have to, some things you have to hold in just a little bit, right? But yeah. he's, uh, he's got a lot of good energy. I will tell you, and he's he's. Uh, He's been very nice to me, and and you know most of them have, other than Christie. Don't forget, Christie left with an eight oh, yeah. percent approval rating. Oh yeah, it was horrible. He left with, and he was tied up in Bridgegate the whole thing. Yeah. It was a mess. It was. He was a disaster. It, it was amazing how there is the new generation and the the old generation of of Republicans that just seem to be completely out of touch with what time it is. Yeah. So they don't get it. Yeah. They don't. And Mitch McConnell. I mean, Mitch has oh. to go. Has to go. He's given them. Trillions of dollars that he could have stopped. You know, and now they're campaigning on the fact that they have trillions of dollars. That was given by Mitch and, his, and 10 of his people that voted as he demanded that they vote. And, you know, it's not that he's a leader. He raises a lot of money and he gives it to senators. Yeah, no. He, and it's sort of like he buys his leadership. It's exactly terrible. Exactly right. But, but he gave them all of this Green New Deal money, and it's probably $9 trillion if you add it up. And it's like throwing it out the window. It's a horrible thing. And it does cause inflation. But like throwing it out the window it's a horrible thing so that was donald trump yesterday on the glenn beck show they did a telephone interview and uh we're going to play a little 2024 presidential primary roundup it was great catching up with boris as it always is glad that he was able to take some time away from 
meetings with the Trump team today to uh, join us on the show. And, you know, listening to President Trump hypothesize about Vivek as a running mate, Noah, what do you think? We've already said the aesthetics of it. Trump Ramaswamy uh, on, on the Make America Great Again, the, the iconic rally signs. It doesn't look great. Trump Vivek, maybe. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know how they would do it. I mean, I, they'd make it work if it came down to it. I mean, I just, I keep seeing all this random stuff that people are putting out about Vivek, and and it's weird. Like, they're you know, people calling him a plant and, like, all this other stuff. Like, I, I don't really know what to think of it. Like, I mean, some of it does look a little weird, but the guy seems like he's got his head in the right place now. People change. Like, the, there's people that used to be Democrats that are Republicans. There's people that were full-blown left that are now right sure it's just it's just I mean, how people grow and and donald and, trump was a re- registered democrat for a number of years yeah exactly but so you know you can't really just completely go off the deep end and just think that you know we have a manchurian candidate on the way in but we've already got one in the white house so I, yeah the dance card is i don't full. even know if i'd call him that he's just a geriatric he's a puppet, puppet. he's an empty yeah. suit and that's all he'll ever be we name the names of the people who are really running our government. I believe we did it earlier in the show, and uh, we'll continue to do it because that's that's the truth. Um, you know, and, and when, when you look at things, there's a lot of people hitting Vivek in the media right now for going back on, on original campaign stances. Here's the thing. When you start off with a candidacy and you get into the throngs of a campaign, as you start to develop your policy platform, your opinions may change on stuff. Things that are like quick hitters on the campaign trail or on the debate stage. When you sit down and kind of, you know, scheme it up with the rest of your team and you start talking with the actual consultants who are going to make up, you know, your eventual transition team, cabinet members and things of that nature. It's going to make more sense than it is by just saying like the war in Ukraine is bad or I hope that at some point Israel becomes uh, financially reliant on itself and doesn't always have to rely on the United States. Yeah, it's 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 those things like okay, the the war in Ukraine is bad, and then well, you know, I'm not really super knowledgeable about it, but now I know why the war in Ukraine is bad. Or you know, your 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 opinions on something may change as you get more information about it. Like your your first off the cuff response to it versus now that I'm informed could be two different things. Oh, you're absolutely right there. Um, I saw. Speaking of the dance card being full, former New Jersey governor, absolutely horrible, sloppy Chris Christie, of course, scissor me timbers, was on MSNBC because nobody on any of the conservative podcasts or news outlets want to hear him uh, railing on Donald Trump and, and talking about how he's not eligible to run for president as part of his campaign platform, which is the only campaign platform that he's rolled out so far besides himself. <laughs> I let's see hear, what you did there. Let's hear the big boy could say I'm attacking Donald Trump, and I understand that's the way some people would look at it. But what I'm doing is telling the truth about Donald Trump, and I'm unafraid to do so. And that's why I didn't raise my hand on the stage on Wednesday night, because two plates in the minimum bar we should have for someone to be running for president of the United States is that they're not indicted or convicted of felonies. What if they're hungry? Um, let alone the, the underlying conduct that is in these the, the classified documents case, the January 6th case. Um, these are our... Acts that are just beneath the office he held when he committed those acts when he was president. And the acts that he's committed since he was president are well beneath 
the bar we should have for anybody who aspires to be president again. So what I'm doing is telling the truth to folks, um, and I'm doing it in the way I've always done it. Absolutely looking into the camera like I'm looking this morning and telling people what I believe in my heart and what chins. I know from my experience as a prosecutor. This guy is in big trouble. He's in big trouble because he did it to himself, and he's inflicting that damage now on our party and on our country. This coming from a person who has zero chance of getting anywhere in politics. Well, now that the New Hampshire state legislator is looking at possible legal avenues to remove Donald Trump from the ballot in a place where Chris Christie is currently polling in second, he feels that he could pick up a state and therefore extend the length of his campaign wider than his waist size. Uh, So what is the the eventual goal for him? Like book deals? Like is this just... I'm just going to do this, and then I can write a book about it and just float on this fucking nonsensical run for the rest of his political career. Mm, What's left of it. Yeah. I look straight in the camera with all my chins. I don't know if you saw recently, I think it was over the weekend, Chris Christie did a speaking event down in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and was traveling back to his... What restaurant was it at? I don't know, probably the Sausage Factory, and and was... (laughs) Is that a restaurant? Have you ever been to the boardwalk in Seaside? There's a lot of sausage places there. I know, but it's not called the Sausage Factory. Oh, sure. Maybe it is. So anyways, uh, you know, he, he's on the way back up to Belmar, where he's currently staying, and gets pulled over. Long story short... Did he stop at Ian Smith's gym mm, to work out? Apparently not. He didn't have his car that he was using as an insurance card and used his political capital and or weight to negotiate himself out of a ticket with a warning, which was all caught on a police body cam. Oh, ho, ho, zing. The, the cop gets back in the car after the nearly 10-minute long interaction. And he goes, what an asshole. He's just like, imagine my luck. <laughs> Where is this? I haven't seen that. I'll send it to you. Actually, Mike Crispy broke the story uh, early this morning. So yeah. how does that How does that come out? Like, is that is that put out by the actual police Department. Yeah, apparently they released the body cam footage of it. Well, I guess we know what team they're playing mm-hmm. for. It's not Chris Christie's. He is not no. loved in the state of New Jersey. He's fucking loathed. Moving right along here, and just to remind everybody, we have a late addition to the uh, roster of America First guests today on Steak for Breakfast. The New York Young Republican Club president, Gavin Wax, will be joining us at the back end of News 3. Late edition, but can't wait to hear about all the great stuff he's got going on. And Nate, you've been doing some incredible work. The uh, young delegation of, of America First is, is carrying a lot of the load here over the last uh, year, to say the least. Nikki Haley, who in some internal polls, might say she received some kind of a bump post-debate. Again, it's over the scraps that Donald Trump has left to them to fight over. Literal scraps. But we all know Nikki, Ka- Nikki Haley's stick right here, right? She's the only woman running in a man's world, and every sentence begins with China and Russia and ends with <laughs> Russia and China. <laughs> That's all she's got going on. Let's see if she could go on Fox and Friends this morning and make it through at least one sentence without saying... Russia and China. European countries have given more than us. So let's focus on real facts and not scare people into this. The truth is a win for Russia is a win for China. Fact. 
<laughs> the other thing is we have to understand that the way we win is make sure Ukraine <coughs> finishes this. Look at what they've done. Look at how far they've <coughs> gone. The and don't underestimate game. the fact that Putin is a murderer. Oh, we saw that with Prigozhin. We know what he's capable of. He, I worked with him in the UN. Ready. He mm. and China made no bones about the fact that they want to destroy us. Let's not take our eye off that ball. So they must have been playing. The European Russia. countries gave more than us. They must have been playing the Russia-China drinking game because one of the Fox and Friends hosts was gagging the entire time she was talking after she said Russia and China. And Nikki, just stop. Yeah, just go away. Yeah, go away. Just no one likes you. It's never going to resonate. Yeah. And nobody cares anymore. No, especially about you. People have learned. Throughout the course of this... Uh, oh, are you saying we're not going to try to get her on the show? <laughs> absolutely not. I reached out to her campaign once, and uh, I think I'm good. Yeah. What'd they say? Never answered back, surprisingly. Weird. Left yeah. you on red. That's fine. We got Dr. Ben Carson coming in here on Friday. Dang. Mm-hmm. Speaking of people that don't want any of the Trump smoke, it's been teased that some of the billionaire international donor class that has so elegantly drug... Florida Governor Ron DeSantis to this campaign <laughs> season are now courting people like Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and, of course, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin. Um, we've said it on the show from the beginning. I've talked to a couple people close to the Virginia governor. They said he has no intention of running in this election cycle. Glenn Youngkin has gone out on several occasions, and whether it's being asked about the field in general or asked directly, has said he has little or no interest on focusing anything on you know, winning seats within his own state and, and focusing on the state of Virginia for this election cycle coming up here. He was on Fox News this morning, and, of course, because they're almost done with Ron DeSantis, we're kind of baiting him along the path of that. Let's hear his response. You've got filing deadlines uh, coming up uh, in terms of this upcoming election, and you've said that the filing deadlines uh, need to get through. You said any decision uh, from your jumping in the 2024 race would come after that. Are you still considering jumping into the 2024 race? Maria, I've, I've said over and over again how humbling uh, it is to even talk about my name in this context, but I am so focused on Virginia elections this year to make sure that we deliver. We've got a giant agenda, and therefore I'm campaigning across Virginia for our House and Senate delegates and senators. I'm not in Iowa, and I'm not in South Carolina and New Hampshire. We're focusing on Virginia. I know you are, but Nevada and South Carolina filing deadlines are happening in October, and then you've got a slew <laughs> of other you, States with deadlines in early November. You've got to get through your Virginia legislation. But after that, you could miss the filing deadlines. You think you can get all of this done before the filing deadlines and enter the race? Well, Maria, as I've said, uh, there is nothing more important is than us screaming? holding our house and flipping our Senate in Virginia. That's where my full attention is. And uh, I'm not I am not paying attention to the filing deadlines, et cetera. I'm paying attention to making sure we hold our house and flip our Senate. I think this is so important for Virginians and for the nation to see that this can happen, that we can put to work conservative common sense policies and we can win and we can bring together a state that was truly blue. People thought it was purple. We can turn it red. This is so important for us to get right. And that's why my focus is clearly on Virginia. Governor, You believe him? No, I do. Uh. Here's the thing. The last thing you want to do 
if you're trying to preserve your brand for 2028, and Glenn Duncan's not an old guy. He's like in his early 50s. He's got plenty of cycles to run in if he wants to go higher than, than the Virginia governor's house and, and wants to get into a you know national election, let's just say the presidential primary next time. Don't piss off America first. Mm-mm. Don't piss off over 80% of the base that's already committed to voting for Donald Trump in the primaries. You think he's playing it smart? Yes. So you don't see him entering the race here? <laughs> mm, I doubt it. Getting close to wrapping up here. And here's the deal. We're going to take it international. I don't know if you saw. Tucky released his latest Tuck exclusive on Tucky Does X. He was in Hungary. Zizzer Carlson. He spoke at a large event, and it was called, like, Inside the Mind of Tucker Carlson. It was actually really good, but then sat down for a one-on-one exclusive interview with Hungarian President Viktor Orban, great friend of Donald Trump, probably enjoys steak for breakfast. And one of the questions I thought was awesome that he asked him was the Trump question. And when it talked about the geopolitical problems that are affecting everybody, especially people in Europe, all those NATO countries, etc., what could be a plausible solution to ending just about all of them? I think you'll be surprised with his answer and how America first it was. Let's check it out. If you were in charge of NATO, if you were, say, Joe Biden, uh, what would your next move be in the war in Ukraine? What would you do? Peace, immediately. Call back Trump. That's, that's, that's <laughs> the only way out. Call back Trump. Call back Trump. Because, you know, you can criticize him for many reasons. I understand all the, all the discussion, but, you know, the best foreign policy of the recent several decades belonged to him. He did not initiate any new war. Yes. He treated nicely the, 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 the North Koreans and, and Russia, yep. even the Chinese, you know. He, he, he delivered a policy which was the best one for Middle, for Middle East, Abraham Accords. Yes. So, so that was a very good foreign policy. He, you know, he's criticized that he's not, you know, he's not educated enough to understand the word. But this is not the case. <laughs> Facts count. And his foreign policy was the best form for the world in the last several decades I have seen. And if he would have been the president at the moment of the Russian invasion started, no, it would, it, it would be not possible to do that by the Russians. Prezogan so Trump is the man alive too. <laughs> who can save the Western world and uh, probably the human beings in, uh, in the globe as well. That's, that's my personal conviction. Listen, you can't ask for a better endorsement than that uh, from a dear, dear friend. You know, the memes have been going around because at the end of the interview, they were, like, taking their pictures together, and Victor Orban was answering his telephone, so I screenshotted it and said, I miss you too, big guy. Because, you know, it sounds like he really does miss the geopolitical stance that the U.S. had during the Trump administration and not so much during uh, sleepy, crooked, puppet, empty suit Joe's. What do you think, Noah? I also miss it quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Listen, it's been a long and winding road uh, catching you guys up on all the news of the week. A day late, but not a dollar short here on the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And while we still got Gavin Wax coming in, I'm going to go over a couple poll numbers. New national poll came out today. This is from YouGov. Head-to-head, presidential election, Donald Trump 44%, Joe Biden 43%. Changes from the July 25th poll in the GOP primary, Donald Trump 52%, Ron DeSantis 16 
Vivek 6, Haley 4, Pence 3, Christie 2, Scott 2. The Virginia poll came out today. Donald Trump holds a 35-point lead for the Republican nomination. He stands at 48% over Ron DeSantis, who's at 13. Glenn Youngkin, whose name they just threw in there, he wasn't in the last poll, shows up at 9% over Mike Pence at 7. Tim Scott at 6. Vivek Ramaswamy at 5. Chris Christie at 3. Nikki Haley at 2. We've also got President Trump leading big over Joe Biden in the post-GOP debate polls. Let's go through them. The New York Post has Donald Trump 44%. To 41% over Joe Biden. Emerson National Poll, 46% for Donald Trump, 44% for Joe Biden. The Schoen Copperman Research Poll, 45% for Donald Trump, 44% for Joe Biden. And the Reuters Poll, definitely not a friend of America First or Donald Trump, has him at 38% and Joe Biden at 32%. That has the largest delegation of undecided still. What else do we got? Here we go. Morning consult from today, which is Wednesday. Joe Biden, 43. Donald Trump, 42. That's a 1% advantage for Joe Biden over Donald Trump from last week where they were tied at 43. Joe Biden's beating Ron DeSantis 43% to 39%. (laughs) Same poll, morning consult, presidential primary, Donald Trump 58, Ron DeSantis 14. That's a 44-point advantage. Vivek Ramaswamy at 10%, Mike Pence at 6, Haley 5, Christy 3, Scott 2, Hutchinson 1. So again, Donald Trump running away with the nomination, everybody else fake primary. First poll out of Wisconsin from the Trafalgar Group. Last one I'll read today. Donald Trump is at 49% over Joe Biden, who's at 40. This is a poll that also includes Colonel West, who's at 2% and 9% still undecided. Looking good for Donald Trump there. Last audio clip of the day. Before we jump in with Gavin Wax, I saw Donald Trump was out making the videos that we've all come to love here on Steak for Breakfast. Those ones where he's like, jumps into the interview room and he's like, let's do this. Hitting Joe Biden. No script. That's it. Let's hear the 45th president. Joe Biden is not only dumb and incompetent, (laughs) I believe that he has gone mad. A stark raving lunatic with his horrible and country-threatening environmental open borders and DOJ, FBI, Weaponization policy. Big acronym. Environmental. He is a mental catastrophe that is leading our country to hell. We'll end up in World War III because of this man and for no reason whatsoever. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you at the end. (laughs) Gotta love it. (laughs) Gotta love the show we brought to you guys today. Finishing it up. Can't think of a better way possible. We've got New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax coming in hot. But before we hear, him. Let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is the 76th president of the New York Young Republican Club and the executive director of the National Constitutional Law Union. Joining us is always a pleasure when Gavin Wax is here. Gavin, thanks for coming back with us. Always great to be on Steak for Breakfast, uh, one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you guys for having me on. 
Gavin, we're all watching our television screens today. Uh, you know, thoughts and prayers down to the people in Florida and, and other areas who are going to be affected by the hurricane. Uh, it seems like Ron DeSantis decided to go down and do his job a little bit this week. He was booed when he got there, though, uh, which kind of went viral on social media. It seems like a lot of people are unhappy with the uh, vacancy he's left in the governor's mansion and the lack of integrity when it comes to working out the insurance scandal that has been going on down there. A lot of people kind of left out hanging high and dry, and now they're getting wet all over again, pun intended. But here's the thing. When you look about... When you look at how bad his campaign has been to this point, no surge in the announcement, no surge in the campaigning, no surge in the polls after the debates. Actually, it's been quite the opposite. And now you see how the people of Florida are welcoming him or not back down there. What can you say about watching this happen in real time? As this, You know, we all called it. You've, you've been on the show dozens of times over the last two years, and we talked about how this will be one of the greatest downfalls in political history. It's not disappointed. And, uh, you know, as we watch, you know, the potentially a natural disaster happen here in the United States, you have someone going down there and just trying to make up for lost time, and it seems like the, the constituents down there just aren't having it. Yeah, well, first I want to say, you know, prayers uh, going out to, uh, you know, all the people of Florida, and I'm hoping that this uh, this impending hurricane is not uh, going to be as destructive as uh, hurricanes in the past, and the loss of life and property uh, is minimal to none. Um, but listen, I think uh, I think we're in a situation right now where a lot of these online DeSantis surrogates are uh, taking marching orders from the campaign, and, con and that means from the governor, uh, that they are now trying to politicize this hurricane. I mean, you're seeing a ton of these, uh, you know, these usual characters, these decebs going online, and they're talking about, you know, crazy wild conspiracy theories that Trump has ordered a gag order to talk about the hurricane and you know we're supposed to be attacking you know the governor DeSantis for and all these crazy things or or, or supposedly Trump supporters including you know uh, members of Congress from Florida have not mentioned uh, the hurricane, which is all a fabrication, which is a lie. These, these are lies that have been put out uh, by that beach bum uh, Chris Nelson. Uh, so you're seeing that they're trying to twist this you know, impending natural disaster, which should be a unifying moment, which should be something that, you know, there's really no qualms over. It's just, you know, part of the duties of being the governor of Florida that you deal with a lot of hurricanes. You know, we're grateful that he's dealing with it, but this is exactly part of his job description. I'm not going to praise him for doing the statutory minimum. Uh, and we're going to see how the response is in the next few days. But ultimately, it's very sad uh, that it's come to this point in the primary where Ron, who is now in the single digits, uh, has his online surrogates rambling about this hurricane and trying to politicize it in a way that it's just completely unnecessary, completely demeaning uh, to the citizens of Florida. And it really just goes to show uh, the sense of character uh, that is emanating uh, out of his uh, out of his office and his campaign. And what does it say for optics when, let's just say, this intense hurricane, it's a strong Category 3 or low Category 4, which is, you know, essentially the, the second most dangerous of them all, making landfall in Florida this morning. And, and you have the rapid response director, Christina Peshaw, walking into the fitness center with her yoga mat and, and dodging questions on the status of Ron DeSantis' campaign. Wouldn't you think at a time like this or, or, or in a time of national emergency, state emergency like we're having in the state of Florida, there'd be some kind of command center with the National Weather Service, probably FEMA, connected to the federal government up in Washington, D.C. to see if there's any way that they're going to be able to help out 
out once this storm, you know, uh, goes through the state of Florida and, and into Georgia and the Carolinas. And we see just kind of this lackadaisical, just the way it's been, like, oh, it doesn't really matter. We're just going to go out and do whatever we want, and everybody's going to love Ron DeSantis kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting sick of this this sort of North Korean-esque approach to Ron DeSantis from his supporters (laughs) that he can never be criticized and, like, you know, all is always well and he's the most amazing man ever. Listen, I think he's a... You know, he's done a decent job as governor. You know, I've, I've criticized him or warranted. I've praised him or warranted. I've done the same with Trump. Um, but I think right now, I think if there are legitimate criticisms of uh, his administration's response to this to this hurricane, I think those are legitimate. And they, they don't necessarily factor in to the primary dialogue, to the dialogue about Trump v. DeSantis. They're just part of the natural course of criticism that an elected public figure uh, would face for his policies and response to something like a natural disaster in this case a hurricane so if there are trump supporters that are critiquing some of the elements and details of his response i don't think that's illegitimate or something that that's completely you know off the table and 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 can't be discussed i think they're presenting him like this godly figure who can't be criticized which is ironic because that's exactly the way that they project onto trump supporters and claim trump supporters never criticized the president never criticized trump they've never had any anything bad to say about certain things that happened in his administration which is simply not true in fact the actual cult of personality that i think is a a real cult of personality is the one we're seeing surrounding the governor of florida ron DeSantis, and and you're seeing it play out now with this hurricane where on one hand you can't criticize anything they're saying on the other hand they're trying to politicize the very the, the hurricane itself so it's a it's a real weird twisted situation we've gotten ourselves into but it just shows the desperation out of tallahassee politically you know he slipped into the single digits there was no bump from his poll and now they're just going wild and they're just trying to throw things on the wall and see what sticks yeah it's funny that a lot of these online surrogates are calling for an official statement on the storm uh from from president trump but i haven't seen any calls for you know former governor chris christie or former ambassador nikki haley to come forward and make you know, any kind of commentary on thoughts and prayers down to the people in florida and, and places of that such so it's it's a joke like you said the whole campaign's kind of been like a gag gift to all the people here in america first who you know they thought they were going to be able to just walk out there with ron DeSantis, roll him out there and, and glean all the people who have literally fought tooth and nail and shed blood for president trump over the last nearly eight years now and uh you know, it's it puts the establishment on notice as well. Outside and much bigger than the very small and ineffective Ron DeSantis campaign is the larger, you know, Republican machine, the old way of things, and how these people in real time. A perfect example was Governor Glenn Youngkin today gave like a really long-winded, indirect answer on on why he's not running for president this cycle. When we all know it's he doesn't want the Trump smoke, he doesn't want to have to compete for the America First votes, which make up over 80% of the Republican electorate. And, you know, it's just goes, it says a lot about how great the Trump team has been in this election cycle. Very smart, fiscally smart. They've kept Donald Trump very well insulated and they've allowed him to still be himself. I know the Trump team is huddling over the course of the last few days. Donald Trump has been cranking out not only Agenda 47 videos, but just the little funny videos that he puts out as well. He's getting ready for a major campaign stop in South Dakota where he's going to be hosted by the governor there, Christy Nome, in a few weeks. Gavin, as you're watching President Trump essentially walk to the three-peat of nominations here in the Republican Party, what can you say uh, up to the latest on President Trump, whether it's his rise in the polls or just how well his campaign's been able to uh, you know, navigate all this stuff that's going on around him, which is probably the most that anyone's had to put up with in any political campaign ever? 
Well, a few things. I'll start with Youngkin. It's clear that Youngkin has a lot more political acumen than Ron DeSantis. I mean, he did really flip uh, a blue state red uh, with his win there in the gubernatorial race. And I think he's also showing a level of maturity uh, and a level of humility to understand that, you know, he going into this primary thinking you're going to beat Trump was a fool's errand. And obviously, Ron DeSantis lacked the political uh, foresight and knowledge to understand that and also lacked the humility. And he was extremely arrogant in how he approached things. And he was surrounded by sycophants and consultant grifters who told him that he was going to win this primary handedly and Trump was going to go to jail and everything would be kumbaya for him. And clearly people like Youngkin realized that, that was stupid and foolish and have not gone on the same path as Ron DeSantis. And for that reason, I think, uh, you know, Glenn Youngkin is going to have a strong future uh, nationally uh, in the Republican Party, depending on how things continue to play out in his administration there in Virginia. Now, moving on to Trump, I think, you know, they're throwing everything they have on him. It's a multi-front war. Uh, they're trying to bury him and his campaign under mountains of legal bills and, 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 and legal expenses. And they were hoping that this would hurt his poll numbers. And we're seeing both in terms of the primary and in terms of the general. The primary, he's taking it away. He's surging. It was up 40, 50 points. I can't even keep track. He's still up and up. And most of these polls are now beginning to show, you know, Ron DeSantis trailing into third place nationally, sometimes in the single digits. He's already third or fourth place in some of these state polls, whether it's New Hampshire or coming close in place like South Carolina. So the DeSantis campaign is imploding. Trump is surging in the primary. But then also, we have to constantly beat this message home because it's the lie that is constantly repeated. It's this 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 vicious lie and smear against the president, against President Trump, that he's not uh, electable, that he's not he has hey, he lacks electability. He's not going to win. And we've seen numerous polls that have shown him up two, three, four, five, depending on how many third party candidates are in the race or in a simple head to head versus Biden. Trump is consistently up in the polls by a margin that is uh, a, a national popular vote margin which he doesn't even need to win. So we're talking about electoral college victory, and we're talking about polls that show him winning the national popular vote, something he's never done before, and something he frankly wouldn't even need to do to win theoretically. So all these are great signs. He's run a lean, nimble campaign that's been very effective. They've done the events they needed to do. They've hosted the rallies they needed to host. They're fundraising like crazy. They haven't had any they haven't like had any missteps or unforced errors, which has been, you know, the the constant standard for the Ron DeSantis campaign, the supposedly professional campaign that wouldn't face any leaks, that was run by serious people, that is very electable. They're the ones that are constantly having a series of unforced errors, whether it's on the comms front, the messaging, you know, the tactics the, the the where they're where they're basing their strategy all in Iowa. I mean, it's it's a total disaster. And the Trump team has been lean. It's been nimble. It's been effective. And they haven't really uh, walked into any uh, major uh, major mistakes like some of his opponents have. And I think Trump himself is showing that he's one of the only people in American politics that is capable of taking on this massive uh, you know onslaught from the deep state, from the establishment, from the Dems, from Republicans you name it and continue to move you know unfazed it's he's unbothered it's not it's not weighing on him it's not pressuring him he's continuing to move forward with a single focus of retaking the white house and bringing about an american national renewal which he was doing in his first term and uh, i think most other people would have simply you know broken under the pressure they would have they would have slipped they would have cracked uh but not president trump and it just goes to show that why that's why he's such a unique political figure that's why he's a political figure uh that many people choose to follow uh uh, follow ex with extreme
extreme loyalty and dedication uh, with a base that no one else has been able to replicate or shift away from him. And I think uh, the sooner these consultant losers that are advising the likes of DeSantis and whoever realize that, the sooner uh, they can come to the, the conclusion that we've all made that he's the inevitable winner of this primary and very likely could be the next occupant of the White House. I agree with you there. And, you know, when you talk about the rest of this race, it's been an absolute disaster and joke in its entirety. Since since the presidential debate midweek last week, a week from now, you know, Vivek does everybody. Chris Christie does MSNBC and CNN. You think Ron- we're going to get Vivek still? Yeah, I think he's not too big for us now. No, I don't think so. You know, I, I've talked to uh, Trisha, and she's assured us that you know he's going to swing by. All right, but but the thing is, you know, when you talk about those two, and then the fact that Ron DeSantis was vaulted back into the spotlight this week because of the hurricane, everyone else has been complete. I looked for for clips of anything relevant from Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and any of the other losers in this race, and it's just like they they had their debate now they're hiding. And, uh, you know, some of their internal polling shows them getting like a 1% or 2% bump. But that's amongst the scraps that, that Donald Trump has left to the, for them to fight over, essentially. It's, it, it's kind of, you know, funny to say, but it's the truth. And at some point, those scraps will be sucked up by Donald Trump. And I, I do, there's a lot of credit that needs to go to his campaign. You know, we had Boris in here this morning. He reiterated some of the things that you just said, Gavin, about Trump being unfazed. And it's us, the, the American populist movement, America first, that energizes him and keeps him going fighting for us and you know jason miller la Civita, stephen chong they've all done such a great job uh, on this campaign so far and i see them continuing to do the same thing in the future last thing i want to touch with you on before we uh let you go gavin is you know we always want to hype up the new york young republican club they are the leading young republican club of the country and they have turned a lot of other young republican clubs across the nation great again you guys have done such amazing work you have the largest gala in clubs history coming up in just a few months any updates you want to give our listenership would be greatly appreciated Absolutely. Uh, and thank you guys always for giving shout out to the club. December 9th, 111th annual gala. A lot of great speakers and uh, guests have already been announced. Uh, Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, we have Paul Gosar, we have Congressman Mike Collins, uh, we have Laura Loomer. Uh, you know, I think Boris will also be there, a friend of mine who was on the show earlier. So it's going to be a who's who of the MAGA world. Uh, you know, we're still releasing a lot of these guests and, uh, and attendees, uh, but definitely, uh, you know, check it out, get your ticket while they are still available and the club was very happy uh, to win uh, best recruitment of the year by the Young Republican National Federation uh, this this month in Dallas, Texas at the Young Republican Convention. So it was good to be uh, recognized on that front. We have over 1,200 dues-paying members here in New York City. Uh, you know, those are people that pay money. You know, it's a, it's a real concrete number. It's not just, you know, some fugazi number. And uh, we're very proud of that, that we're constantly growing the Republican Party uh, in places that uh, the Republican Party really hasn't been alive or active in many, many, many years or even generations. So uh, we're going to continue to fight uh, the good fight behind enemy lines. We've got a lot of great candidates this cycle hoping to win here locally. And uh, you can check out the club at nyyrc.com. Can't say enough about it, Gavin. Like I, you know, I was talking with a group of uh, you know people that I chat with in between shows to kind of get some information from the consultant class, see what's going on with these different candidates, and and you guys came up and I said, listen, this young voter demographic that the New York Young Republican Club has started to snare in nationwide and go and make places like D.C. You guys went down to Texas. I know you guys have done some work in Florida and, and just moving across the country. These were things that were essentially inactive besides you guys last cycle. And you guys are bringing an actual populist America First movement 
throughout the nation for people who are going to sometimes be voting for the first time, maybe looking to vote for President Trump for the first time. And, and, and the amount of work you guys did, I mean, I know a lot of people who listen to this show, they see Gavin Wax is on, they know he's always smashing people online, which is definitely one of his fortes. But this guy, you know, works alongside one of the best constitutional lawyers in the country, and he's the president of the New York Young Republicans Club. He's helping literally to make America great again. And it's great to see Donald Trump, uh, you know, pay homage to you guys this week by saying it's the young Republicans that are really helping crank up this cycle. I think uh, you can't say enough about you guys. And, and, and we're glad that more and more people are getting active. And we're really appreciative that you're being able to be at the forefront of that, Gavin. So we're going to live link the uh, NCLU and the New York Young Republicans Club in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media and now wants to, where can they find you at? Absolutely. And thank you for all that high praise. I really appreciate appreciate it, guys. Uh, you can follow me at Gavin Wax, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all the rest. And I'm looking forward to the next episode of Steak for Breakfast. Looking forward to the next time you're on as well. This is the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club and the executive director of the NCLU. Mr. Gavin Wax, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. You know, I was definitely missing the Steak for Breakfast podcast this week, No, and I was missing you too. I got confused. I thought we were still doing it on Tuesday when I texted you. Mm. <laughs> Here we are. I think we did an amazing job. Guys, if you liked this edition of the podcast and want to hear the now over 270 other editions of the show, make sure you're following us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Also, across all social medias, Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and True Social, find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, Congressman Mike Collins, Boris Epstein, Constitutional Attorney John Pierce, and New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax. They all helped make Steak great again. Guys, don't worry, because it's Wednesday. We're going to be back in 48 hours or less. We've got You're an absolute a nasty person. heater coming in here on Friday. We'll be sitting down with two guests for the first time. Colonel Rob Madness, Dr. Ben Carson. We're going to have Jake Denton, tech expert from the Heritage Foundation. And Amy Kramer, the national chair for Women for Trump. So on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. Are these the Nazis, Walter? No, Donnie, these men are nihilists. There's nothing to be afraid of. We don't care. We still want the money, Lepovsky. We fuck you up. Fuck you. Fuck the three of you. No. Without a hostage, there is no ransom. That's what ransom is. Those are the fucking rules. His girlfriend gave up her toll. She thought we'd been getting million dollars. It's not fair. Fair? Who's the fucking nihilist around here, you bunch of fucking crybabies? So cool it, Walter. Hey, look, pal, there never was any money. The big Lebowski gave me an empty briefcase, so take it up with him, man. And I would like my undies, babe. This guy's gonna hurt us, Walter? No, Donnie. These men are cowards.